and welcome back to part two of the Taldor Reborn uh, campaign guide uh, subclass deep dive for why before you buy. So um, if you guys are obviously coming from episode one, uh, thanks for, you know, jumping on the Patreon and deciding to listen to us as we gas bag about the next four classes. Thank you, lucky devils. Lucky devils. <laughs> so... Uh, where we ended, we had just gone over the uh, Circle of the Blighted Druid, which was really cool. And now we're moving on to the Monk. So the Monk part that they've done in this one is Way of the Cobalt Soul, um, which I believe got more traction for Campaign 2 of Critical Role because Marisha Ray, her character was Beauregard, and Beauregard was a Way of the Cobalt Soul Can you monk. see all these classes being played? In Critical Role, have they all been featured in like... A- yes, in one way or another. Like, um, going into Campaign 2 as an example, like with Beauregard being a monk, you generally don't understand a lot of the abilities right off the bat because they don't fully disclose that they're homebrew right off the bat. They leave a little bit to interpretation for people to like learn it. But the way of the Cobalt Soul is... Because the Cobalt Soul are basically like a library slash military force slash police like they they police the government and seed out corruption and stuff which is which is very which is very cool and i like the fact that they've gone because the whole point of their thing is like a lot of the characters in there can be monks or like if they're not spell casters they're monks or something along those lines please don't get mad at me if i'm wrong because it's like you know it's a lot of information to take in got there so driven by the pursuit of knowledge and it's uh scholars worship of the knowing mentor the Library of the Cobalt Soul is the best respected and most heavily guarded repositories of tomes, history, and information in all of Exandria. People from all lands come to the library to seek knowledge, and those particularly dedicated to the virtues of truth often pledge their minds and bodies to the Cobalt Soul's cause. To become a member of the Cobalt Soul is to give oneself over to a quest dedicated to unveiling life's mysteries, bringing light to the secrets of the concealed of concealed evil, and guarding the most powerful and dangerous of truths from those who would whose unwholesome first thirst for knowledge might bring death and suffering to other monks. Oh, to others, sorry. I read the next line, like, other oh, monks. <laughs> to others. The monks of the Cobalt soul, soul are the embodiment of the maxim, know your enemy. Through tireless research, they steel themselves against the unrelenting tides of evil. Through rigorous training, they learn to break through their foes' mental and physical defenses. Then once the fight is done, they record their findings for future generations of monks to study. So it's it's the the learned the learned fighter mm. is what I get from that. It's like this is the person that has dedicated their life to perfecting their mind and their body as one utensil. That sounds like some fat stat stretches to me. This seems like this uh, this to me seems more like a monk than anything else really. Like a a monk that's gonna fight. I feel like this that it kind of explains in my mind at least what a monk is you mean like the the capabilities to like the fact that they're putting so much research into learning mm. how to fight mm. their enemies to better beat beat their enemies like that way yeah yeah I that, that's what it came across from me as well because I, when i imagine a monk i think of like uh, a jedi yeah that's true brain, you know? like, yeah killing like so many kids man <laughs> and not just not just the women but the children, children too, too. <laughs> <laughs> what have i done <laughs> What have I done? Um, 
so sky when you're busy when you finish chortling. Um, how how do you mean st- um stat stretching? Do you mean like between like wisdom intelligence to con yeah. decks? Like well, like kind of going with that whole like sort of um balance of like you know the body and the mind, but then also being learned and stuff like that. I mean, the the monk as a class already calls for you to have good stats in dexterity and wisdom and con yeah. as a base. And it's kind of sounding like we're going to be stretching into other stats here to make it really work, to be honest. It's really funny that you bring that up because I just started reading ahead a little bit to get myself an idea of where we we're going. Um, extract extract aspects is their, is the first ability. Starting at third level, you can strike pressure points to intuit crucial information about a foe. When you hit a creature with one of the attacks granted by your flurry of blows, so you can only really do it if you hit them with a flurry of blows attack. Yep. You can analyze it. Whenever an analyzed creature misses you with an attack, you can immediately immediately use your reaction to make an unarmed strike against that creature if it's within your reach. This benefit lasts until you finish a uh, long or short rest. So maybe, maybe that stretch. That sounds like an intelligent, like that'd be, I don't know. Oh, here we go. Additionally, on the next page, funny enough. Additionally, when you analyze a creature, you learn all of its damage vulnerabilities, damage resistances, damage immunities, and condition immunities. I think what, to me, what I'm getting from this is it's taking your traditional build of a monk, being, you know, Connell Dex, whatever yeah. it is, and then say, well, because you hit real good, you can do this now. You can pull this information yeah. because you're using your ability to do that, which I think is kind of cool. Um, the next one, extort... Tr- Ooh, my coffee. Oh, Ooh, you're careful. Good save. Um, extort truth starting at 6th level you can precisely strike a hidden cluster of nerves on a creature temporarily preventing it from masking its true thoughts and intent when you hit a creature with an unarmed strike you can spend one key point to force it to make a charisma saving throw on a failed save the creature is unable to speak a deliberate lie and all charisma checks directed at the creature are made with advantage for up to 10 minutes you know if it succeeded or failed on its saving throw like you automatically just get that uh, an affected creature is aware of the effect and it can thus avoid answering questions to which it would normally respond with a lie. Such a creature can be evasive in its answers as long as the effect lasts. If you wish to impose this effect on a creature without injuring it, you can attack the creature to simply t- uh, you can attack the creature to simply touch it, dealing no damage on a hit. Truth serum, the attack. It's literally yeah, it's literally truth serum with intimidating them because obviously when they realize they can't speak a lie they will just not answer yeah so i guess to the point where it's like well how are you going to intimidate them to you, you need to find a way to make them talk about it exactly but i like the fact that it says all the charisma checks which is persuasion i believe pers- charisma is persuasion and um intimidation yeah yeah i'm made with advantage so if you go look man and deception and deception it's like look man yeah, you could lie your way out and say, look, if you just tell us what you want to know, I'll get you out of here. We'll we'll set you up in a nice pen somewhere and like just wait for court. And they're like, oh, yeah, man, I'll tell you everything. Or you can just go, look, dude, that guy's going to gut you with a sword the second I walk out of this room if you don't tell me the truth and like intimidate with advantage. And I think, I think that's cool. It's basically like good cop, bad cop, but you're just constantly being the best of both, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Coffee is in my blood. Uh, mystical coffee, coffee, mystical <laughs> erudition. I think I pronounced that word correctly. No one knows. No one's ever seen that. No word. one knows. You need an el- you need the ability to speak eldritch tongue. I've never even seen a book. That's the shadow tongue. <laughs> <laughs> book of shadows. It's a parcel tongue. That is. 
Also, on by sixth level, you have extensively studied the history and law within the archives of the Cobalt Soul. You learn one language of your choice, and you gain proficiency with one of the following skills of your cho- of your choice: Arcana, History, Investigation, Nature, or Religion. If you already have proficiency in one of the listed skills, you can instead choose to double your proficiency bonus oh. for any ability check you make that uses the chosen proficiency. That's Holy, cool. that's cool. So that those are all intelligence skills. So this, I think I'm pretty on the money with saying that if you want to be really good at this class, you got to you got a stat stretch. Yes, but that's but what it's saying here is you can you automatically. Um, you gain proficiency with one of them. So even if you were at a base level, it wouldn't be too bad. And you get, because you get to add your proficiency to it. And if you've already got one stacked up because you want it to be a weird, a weird sort of monk stat, you can double your proficiency bonus. So all you've got to do realistically, say we're using D&D Beyond and we do point by, dump your, is it Dex? Dex is your main stat, right? Uh, for, for, for a monk. For a monk. Is it Dex or Con? It's pretty important for a monk, yeah. So, pump Dex, put a little bit into intelligence just to get you um, that plus one, add your proficiency bonus, and I think you're doing pretty well. Oh, yeah, it could definitely, it could definitely work, but I, I think the class in itself is hard yakka. A bit of a hard yakka. A bit of yeah. hard yakka. Um, what have we got here? You gain additional language... You gain an additional language and an additional skill proficiency from the above list, or you can double the bonus of an existing proficiency from the list at 11th and 17th level. So you can just keep, again, like we said, just put enough into intelligence, into mm. your intelligence, so you can get you can get one of those proficiencies and then just keep dumping it every time so you don't have to spend more points in it than you need to, you know what I mean? Because you're automatically getting that as you progress on. It's definitely, it's very RPG grindy. Yeah. For a class, yeah. definitely. But I feel like roleplay-wise, it kind of fits the narrative because you're learning as you go. Maybe it could be done better. We'll save that for the end. Anyway, Mind of Mercury. Mercury. <laughs> uh, uh, Mr. Solomon. I've been hanging on that all week because I made that joke once. Yeah. Starting at uh, Mind of Mercury, starting at 11th level. You've owned your awareness and reflexes through mental aptitude and pattern recognition once per turn. If you've already taken your reaction, you may spend one key point to take an additional reaction. You can use only one reaction per triggering effect. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So if you've already taken your reaction, you can spend one key point. Oh, yeah. So once in the turn cycle, if you already bump a reaction, you can just get another one if you spend the point. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. Why wouldn't someone who who's trained their body to be that good not be able to do that? Yeah. yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Deb- <laughs> Debilitating Barrage. Upon reaching 17th level, you've gained the knowledge to manipulate a creature's key to undermine their fortitude. When you hit a creature with an unarmed strike, you can spend three key points to cause the creature to gain vulnerability to one damage type of your choice for one minute or until the end of a turn in which it has taken damage of that type. If a creature has resistance to the damage type you choose, this resistance is suppressed for one minute rather than gaining vulnerability. A creature that is immune to the damage type you choose is unaffected. A creature who is affected by this feature cannot be affected by it again for 24 hours. I think that falls into... That's really cool if you've got a spellcaster, dragonborn, anyone that uses a particular type, like a breath weapon or magic, fire, ice, blah, 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 giving them vulnerability to that, you're... That's a smoke. Like you're yeah. just you're just throwing hands at everybody. That's yeah. That's rated that E for has everyone. The potential to be very, uh, very broken, especially if a a boss hinges on being immune to like or resistant to certain things. To yeah. All, like conventional 
types of damage and then just be like, oh, no, 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 you can you, you, you can take piercing damage now. It's like, oh, fuck. Something like that. <laughs> and now, oop. You're not immune to fire anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> Sorry, that actually ends the monk. Quite short, I feel, compared to the rest of them. That's very short short compared to the rest of them. But it's asking you to do a lot. Yeah. But we do move into Paladin, which is, I know, is Marco's. Marco loves Paladins. I love Paladins. Um, It's me. Oath of the Open Sea. The Oath of the Open Sea calls to seafaring warriors, swashbuckling sailors, and traveling guardians who seek the thrill of a limitless horizon, driven to search for adventure and mystery across and beneath every endless oceanic expanse. Paladins who swear this oath stand against those who would deny liberty to like-minded travellers rooting out tyranny and corruption wherever wherever it is found. Such guardians believe in the natural beauty of the sea, often making offerings and prayers to entities or deities such as the Wild Mother or the Storm Lord who influence safe passage. At the same time, they answer the call to hunt the monstrous creatures that too often bloody the waters with wanton violence and ill intent and which terrorise the folk at sea and shore. That alone is sick. Our job is to end tyranny on the ocean, like, you know, really destructive and bad pirates, but they also go hunting for creatures of the deep, the deep like krakens. That's incredible. Those that's gi- that's like that's giant sick. dragon turtles and shit. Like, that's awesome. Uh, the tenets of the open sea. So freedom can be a selfless virtue or a selfish want. For paladins who swear the oath of the open sea, freedom is the highest calling and a gift to be granted to all. No greater life than a life lived free. One should be free to chart their own path without oppression. Those who would exert their power to dominate others shall be smote. <laughs> smote. That's probably the most badass line I've heard tonight. That's if we're gonna go back to the era of um getting like lyrics across our like chests for tattoos, that should be it. <laughs> I think that's the most like America thing. It's like if you don't like freedom, you shall be smote. <laughs> You can get, get smoted. <laughs> I love bringing up the rednecks from South Park because it's like they're just such a trashy character, but it's so good. It's like it's just such a good line. Just as a disclaimer, it sounds like if you're going to play the subclass, uh, please have a discussion with your DM beforehand to make sure you're not in a campaign that is landlocked. Yeah, that was like we we did a little bit of seafaring bit yeah. on like our home game, but that's only because I'm I was still so new to it. I'm not actually as comfortable with seafaring stuff as I am with being landlocked stuff. But I've actually been watching heaps of videos about like doing on the open sea and like reading how other people do oceanic travels and fighting and like on boats and stuff because obviously the D mechanics a bit like how you going really, really limiting so i think a lot of people probably stay away from it i am punching your ocean oh come I on am man, punching. that's not what are you doing <laughs> literally uh the next tenet is uh trust the skies the guidance of a strong breeze the rumbling warnings of a coming storm nature is a source of portent and counsel that should be heeded adapt like water the waters of the ocean can shift around any obstacle or become the most impassable obstacle of all. They carve away the land to reveal the secrets of the past or swallow the truth and hide it forever. To embrace this fluidity is to be ready for any challenge. Explore the uncharted. The world is filled with mystery through the pursuit of enigmatic enigmatic ends. Oh my God, I can't read. One can uncover those who hide their foul deeds and find the path to becoming something great. Typical mm. swashbuckler story. Yeah, I love that. Typical swashbuckler story. I think that the like I think like Sky said before, um, like oh you know make sure that they're not like in a landlocked campaign. I actually reading that I think if I was if I was gonna play this I would fifty fifty either go with 
with one that's on the ocean or I'd love to play this character as someone who has spent his whole life on the seas and is now um, doing adventure on land. I yearn for the salty water! Exactly. <laughs> everything, everything kind of goes back to his time on the ocean or, or something like that. I think this, this character actually would be super fun to play on land. Um, you know, because you can kind of be like, oh, I'm just getting me land legs or something like that. But you could also look at it as like young, like typical orphan thing, young parents or parents were really good sailors. He grew up, decided to take his own path or sorry, their path. Let's be open for everybody. This particular, the Oath of the Sea Paladin um, decides to forge their own path. They go to a couple, a couple of merchant vessels, all that sort of stuff and do whatever. And then say they get to later life and they want to find their parents because they lost track because you know, being on the sea is very yeah. hard to communicate with people. Even on D&D, like magic, you know, can only work within certain limits. You open yourself up to so many options to be like, like I am a paladin of the sea, mm. but I need to be on land so that I can find the people that I'm looking for to get back to the sea. There's, I, I, there's options with it. You know, yeah, I think going off of that, I'd love to play that character as a... Um, maybe like he, he was captured into a life of like servitude where it's like he, he couldn't he didn't choose that life he he had to spend 20 years in like the navy or something crazy like that um yo and then now he's he's finally free but all he's known is the sea um what a great rhyme that was um, <laughs> nice so i think rhyme maker <laughs> man this is tight you're definitely gonna hear me playing this character later on so oath spells you gain Oath Spells at the Paladin levels listed in the Oath of the Open Sea Spells. Uh, spells marked with an asterisk are new spells described at the end of this section. Uh, so there's a couple of new ones there that are homebrew spells, I think. Yo. So third level, Creole Destroy Water, Expeditious Retreat. Excellent. Fifth level, Augury, Mystery Step. Uh, mystery. Misty Mystic Step. step. <laughs> mystery Step. That's tight. <laughs> Not sure where I go. Ninth level, Call Lightning, Freedom of the Waves. That's a new one. Uh, 13th level is control water freedom of movement 17th level commune with nature and freedom of the winds so we'll look up freedom of the waves that sounds tight uh, yeah that, that should come up because it's a new book channel divinity when you take this oath at third level you gain the following two channel divinity options marine layer as an action you channel the sea to create a thick cloud of fog that surrounds you for 20 feet in all directions the fog moves with you remaining centered on you and making its area heavily obscured. You and each creature within five feet of you instead treat the area as lightly obscured. This fog lasts for 10 minutes, spreads around corners, spreads around corners and cannot be dispersed unless you choose to end this effect. No action required. So if you're in like a tight lit dungeon, it'll move around the corner to fit to re- the truly obscure. Cause you know, like sometimes your radius of effect skill, uh, radius of effect spells, can be stifled by terrain and stuff that's in the way. Like if you're in a narrow hallway, it's only 15 feet yeah. wide. That just means it's like, it's going to go 20 feet and just go and fill that gap automatically. That's really There's cool. There's a lot of spells like, um, like that one, the druid one I was talking about before, the lightning one. It has to have enough room to summon in its like max width. A- area of effect, yeah. It can't, you can't use it. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like, it's, it's, it's almost... Like 60 foot tall. It's almost wasted, mm-hmm. like, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. The other one for Channel Divinity is Fury of the Tides. As a bonus action, your channel, you channel the powerful might of the waves to bolster your attacks for one minute. Once per turn for the duration, when you hit a creature with a weapon attack, you... Oh, I've just skipped a page somehow. No, there it is. When 
once per turn for the duration when you hit a creature with a weapon attack you can choose to push the target 10 feet away from you if the pushed if pushed into an obstacle or another creature the target takes bludgeoning damage equal to your charisma modifier whoa okay, okay. so you can just go nah! <laughs> fuck off and they're just gone like that's that's wild that's cool that's a cool utility I'm down for that I'm down for this character Aura of Liberation. Starting at 7th level, you fill nearby creatures with the energy of movement. While you're not incapacitated, you and creatures of your choice within 10 feet of you cannot be grappled or restrained and ignore penalties on movement and attacks Jesus. while underwater. Yes. Very generic paladin buff. Just like freedom. Yeah. yeah. But like underwater though, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Creatures that are already grappled or restrained when they enter the aura can spend five feet of movement to automatically escape unless they are bound by magic restraints. That's pretty good, though. That's very, that's very good. When you reach 18th level in this class, the aura affects creatures within 30 feet of you. So generally, like, a base walking distance for most creatures, automatically they just get that freedom to move. I think that's clutch. Damn. Oh, this is awesome. Stormy Waters. At 15th level, you can call on the force of crashing waters as a reaction whenever a creature moves into or out of your reach. The creature takes 1d12 bludgeoning damage and must succeed on a strength saving throw against your spell save DC or be knocked prone. So that's if they're coming or if they're going, they're getting smashed by water. That's that's nuts. That's nuts. (laughs) Mythic, Mythic Swashbuckler. What a name. At 20th level, you learn to channel the spirits of historic sea captains to briefly become a paragon of heroic adventure. As an action, you embrace these spirits of the sea to gain the following benefits for one minute. This is unreal. You have advantage on strength, athletics checks, and you gain a climbing speed equal to your walking speed. If you already have a climbing speed, it is doubled. Fucking hell. If you're within five feet of a creature and no other creatures are within five feet of you, you have advantage on attack rolls against that creature. You can take the dash or disengage action as a bonus action. You have advantage on dexterity checks and dexterity saving throws against effects you can see. And once you finish this, once you use this feature, you can't use it again until you take a long rest. So that's basically just taking everything Jack Sparrow can do and just putting it into a class. Like trouble just avoids this guy in a weird way. Mm. You know what I mean? I actually really, I dig that. I dig that really hard. Yeah. So, and look at Angus was excited. Where is it? Where's the thump thump? Stab the heart. Don't stab the heart. <laughs> Nobody move. I've dropped me brain. <laughs> so this is um this section here is the um those sea spells that we were looking at. Yeah, yeah. So oath of the open sea spells. The paladins of the oath of the open sea automatically gain two new spells through their oath spells feature. These spells can also be learned by druids, rangers, and sorcerers of the appropriate level at the GM's discretion. There you go. So they're not just class restricted, which I think is really cool. Freedom of the Waves, third level conjuration. Casting time, one action, 120 foot range. Uh, components are visual, uh, vocal, somatic, and material. I was reading this, this sounds tight. A strand of wet hair. That's cool. Which means you can just get that off yourself. That's gangster. I feel like I'd love to add a little um, a little character like trait of like, because he's like of the ocean and of the water, his hair is always wet. So like, all the time, he's just like always like slicking his hair back, and it's just like dripping with water, like you've just gotten out of a shower, or like his clothes are always a little bit damp, just like just because he like exudes the ocean. So he's always just a little. <laughs> I bit don't know damp. mechanically how that would work with any other race, bar a um a water genasi. 
because they're constantly you just break, like the yeah, fourth wall. Like, the other players. How is his hair always like that? I don't know. Well, it's like it's. I, I use unstable water magics. I don't know. I'm just a paladin. I'm no. I'm no wizard. It's just secreting that good salty water. I'll write something good. My skin always tastes like salt vinegar chips. <laughs> oh, that's fucking Here delicious. Here we go. <laughs> the duration of freedom of ways is instantaneous. You conjure a, a deluge of seawater in a 15-foot radius, 10-foot tall cylinder, centered on a point within range. This water takes the form of a tidal wave, a whirlpool, a water spout, or another form of your choice. Each creature in the area must succeed on a strength saving throw against your spell save DC or take 2d8 bludgeoning damage and fall prone. You can choose a number of creatures equal to your spell casting modifier, minimum one, to automatically succeed on this saving throw. If you are within the spell's area as part of the action you use to cast a spell, you can vanish into the deluge and teleport to an unoccupied space that you can see within the spell's aura. Area. This is some tight ass Davy Jones shit. And, and imagine it's like something cool, like your your barbarian is in there raging, trying to fight all these skeletons off. You cast this spell, you allow him to succeed, but everyone else to fail. Mm-hmm. Or like imagine like you guys are back to back and you just cast it on the spot. <laughs> Big water spout goes up, and you're like, hey, you're good. You can you're good to go. I'm just gonna fucking peace out and just go slightly adjacent in that water plume and then like start fucking up everyone in that room. Yep. That's awesome. That's that shit is gangster. How that, long does the water hang around for? Just like it'll just like a smash. It's instantaneous, which means yeah. it happens within your turn. It's and like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um Freedom of the Winds, which is the next one. That is a fifth level abjuration. So this is one action to cast. It is a self spell. So you know the cast on yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, components, vocal, somatic um, material, a scrap of sailcloth, very fitting. Very tight. Duration, concentration, up to 10 minutes. So if you concentrate, you get 10 minutes of the spell. So wind wraps around your body, tugging at your hair and clothing as your feet lift off the ground. You gain a flying speed of 60 feet. <laughs> Additionally, you have advantage on ability checks to avoid being grappled and on saving throws against being restrained or paralyzed. When you are targeted by a spell or attack while this spell is in effect, you can use a reaction to teleport up to 60 feet to an unoccupied space you can see. If this movement takes you out of range of the triggering spell or attack, you are unaffected by it. This spell ends when you reappear. Well, so you, you get to... Does that, does that last for one hour that it's set? Um, it is one... It is concentration up to 10 minutes. Up to 10 minutes. You get to fly for 10 minutes... And you get to teleport once for free 60 feet. In whenever. If someone casts a spell. I believe that is correct. Uh, Let me just double check that. So, yep, winner of the rotting body. You get a flying speed of 60 feet. Additionally, you have advantage on ability checks to avoid being grappled and on saving throws against being restrained or paralyzed. When you are targeted by a spell or attack while this spell is in effect, you can use a reaction. Yeah, yeah, because you regain a reaction Mm. every turn. So you can use a reaction to teleport up to 60 feet to an unoccupied space you can see. If this movement takes you out of range of the triggering spell or attack, you are unaffected by it. The spell ends. This spell ends when you dis- when you reappear. So Freedom of the Winds will end when you reappear from that teleportation. Mm-hmm. So obviously, it's like... Um, so basically, this spell, you get, you get to fly, and when you're targeted by a spell or attack while that spell, Freedom of the Winds, is in effect, you just get to piece the fuck out 60 feet away to an unoccupied space. That's tight. Damn. That is tight. That's a really cool subclass. I, I, like, I can't wait to cut that more <laughs> towards like the end. It's like that fucking like, video. It's all like... Oh, I have the guy just... Like, pieces yeah, out. It, it's home and going back into the grass for me. <laughs> but Belly you can nose. use that defensively or 
offensively. Like, imagine using that to dodge someone's spell or whatever and then teleporting behind them or behind their party and then just, like, using that to just, like, pin some maneuver. Yeah, because you gain a, a flying speed of 60 feet and your reaction teleports you up to 60 feet mm. to an unoccupied space. So, realistically, and if you're good enough and you're quick enough, you can plan for that too. You can be flying and then just go fucking dive bomb and then just go pull the other side. Yeah. Spell ends. Yeah, sweet as. I'm still going to rape you, you in the back though, like like swashbuckler style. Like fucking, yeah. Out the front. That's gangster. Yes. No, I thought you just <laughs> I realize what I realize what you said. It's I realize what you think I said. Anyway, I, I hate the fact that that's the name of the sword is a rapier because it just comes out weird when I say it. And the the worst thing is that's what that's what pirates are. They had rapiers and sabers and stuff. It sucks. Anyway, um, so next one is a this is a sorcerer subclass, which I think is really cool. I personally don't know a lot of people that play sorcerers because obviously wizard is like you earn your ability through study. Sorcerer is Oh, I'm better than you because I'm bored with magic. Daddy fucked you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Papa, when's Mother Scarefin coming home? <laughs> Literally. Anyway, uh, this subclass is called the Rune Child. I think it's really cool. The Rune Child? Rune Child. Like, like runes. Are you any? Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Um... The mysterious weave and flow of magic is feared by the many folks across Exandria. While some spellcasters must study the essence and nature of magic, wizards, in the hope of learning to harness it, sorcerers possess an innate talent to sculpt and wield the errant strands of power that shape the world. Some sorcerers, for some sorcerers, sorry, the body becomes a conduit for this power, which is collected and stored in the form of natural runes and which sees a sorcerer a sorcerer named as a rune child. The talents of a rune child are rare, and sorcerers with this origin are sought after for study by mages and scholars alike, driven by a prevalent belief that the secrets of their runes can help understand the mysteries of magic. Others sometimes seek to enslave rune child sorcerers, using their bodies as tortured spell batteries for diabolical pursuits. Rune child sorcerers were subjugated throughout the Age of Arcanum, and with many of their contemporaries now search for ways to hide their essence, a task that isn't easy given the revealing nature of their gifts. I love that off the bat, it's like, this is the lore dump that we have to fit into this context where it's like, <clears throat> these people are these people are naturally born with these innate gifts that appear as runes on their skin and they were hunted to be studied um, like with like universities and schools and stuff, I'm forgetting the word, like not scholarly, academically, that's yeah. the word. That was to be studied academically. And then there's some people that's like, fuck that. It's just free power battery. Let's I just, let's just go for I it. I love the addition of that, um, of that little law. <clears throat> yeah. I think, Oh, this is also something fucked up that's happened to them. Yeah. Like this is what's happened in this reality. Obviously it might not be the same for like anyone that does a home game, but that's cool. It op- It automatically opens up to something you can do. Essence runes. At first level, your body begins to express your innate magic as runes traced out across your skin. Uh, You start with one essence rune and gain an additional rune whenever you gain a level in this class. These runes can manifest anywhere on your body through the first, though the first usually manifests on the forehead. Your essence runes remain invisible when inert, so unless you use them, they don't appear. 
uh, at the end of a turn. Are Sorry. you a rune wizard? I, I get it. on your head. Funny guy. We got a funny man over here. We got a funny man over here. Face tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> what? Scary. It's only going to get worse, I think. When uh, the abilities come in and they start showing. <laughs> at the end of a turn, during which you spent one or more sorcery points, a number of your essence runes equal to the number of sorcery points you spent, 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 begin to glow with stored energy, becoming charged runes. You use these charged runes to power your rune child subclass features. Also, as a bonus action, you may spend a sorcery point to convert two essence runes into two charged runes. If you have five or more charged runes, you emit bright light in a five-foot radius and dim light for an additional five feet. Do you know what this is? <laughs> this is Polka Dot Man from the new Suicide. Oh, it's just that ash, I swear. No, it's that um, it's um, the the light kid from um Sky High, where he yeah, just glows. Just glows yeah. If you expend a charged rune to use one of your rune child features, it returns to being an inert essence rune. Any charged runes also revert to inert essence runes after you finish a long rest. So at the end of the turn, which you spend one or more sorcery points, a number of your essence rune equal to number. Right. So as you spend sorcery points to do stuff. It charges these runes particularly, or I believe you have to spend sorcery points to charge them, I believe. Sorcerer, sorcerers, again, it's a bit weird for me because, like, the innate aspect of uh, magic casting is weird to me, but that's just because I'm dumb. I'm dumb. <clears throat> anyway, runic magic. Beginning at first level, you learn additional spells when you reach certain levels in this class, as shown on the runic spells table, which is here. Each of these spells counts as a sorcerer spell for you, but it doesn't count against the number of sorcerer spells you know. That's cool. When you gain a level in this class, you can replace one spell you gained from this feature with another spell of the same level. The new spell must be an abjuration or transmutation spell from the sorcerer, warlock, or wizard spell list. So runic spells. First level, you get long strider, protection from evil and good. Third level, lesser restoration, protection from poison. Very cool. Uh, fifth, glyph of warding, magic circle. Also very good. Seventh, death ward, freedom of movement. Ninth, greater restoration and telekinesis. All very good utility spells for a spellcaster. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the class ones here. So this is Glyph of Aegis. Starting at first level, you can release the stored arcane power within your runes to absorb or deflect threatening attacks. Whenever you take damage, you can expend any number of charged runes as a reaction. Roll a number of d6s equal to the number of runes you expend and reduce the damage by that total. When you reach sixth level, you can touch a creature as an action and expend up to three charged runes to transfer your protective power to it for up to one hour. The next time that that creature takes damage within the next hour, it rolls 1d6 per charged runes spent and reduces the damage by the total. You can't transfer this power to a creature already under the effect of the Glyph of Aegis, and the Glyph of Aegis die become a d8 at 14th level. So that's you basically saying, I'm going to give myself the ability to reduce the damage you do, and then at a higher level, you're like, actually, I'm going to give that to you. Which is excellent. So if you're like trying to buff a barbarian or buff like a monk or like squ even squishy classes, like if you got like you've got this rune, this rune uh, wizard, rune child sorcerer, sorry, touching a wizard or a druid in your class, you automatically are gonna be able to like stop them from dropping, which I think is really cool. Very cool utility spell in my opinion. Uh, you get Sigilic Augmentation. So at 6th level, you can channel your runes to temporarily bolster your physical capabilities. When you make a Strength, Dexterity, or Constitution ability check, you can expend a charged rune as a reaction to gain advantage on the roll. In addition, 
when you are forced to make a strength, dexterity, or constitution saving throw, you can use your reaction and expend a charged rune to gain advantage on the saving throw. Once you use this feature in this way, you cannot use it in this way again until you complete a long rest. That's sick, because every spell caster focus class is always super squishy in my opinion mm. for some weird reason because you're, you're most scared of is any like wizard wizards and <clears throat> any type of spell caster you're a glass cannon literally so the ability to go yo i'm gonna give myself i'm gonna bolster my abilities on like checks and stuff that's sick i think that's awesome that's really cool for a, uh, a sorcerer uh, manifest inscriptions. Also, it's th- sixth level. Oh my god, I can't talk today. Also, all at sixth level, you can reveal hidden glyphs and enchantments that surround you. As an action, you expend one charged rune to reveal hidden or invisible arcane traps, marks, runes, wards, senses, or glyphs within sixty feet of you. They glow with dim light in a five foot radius for one minute. You have advantage on intelligence arcana checks to discern the nature of any magic revealed in this way for the duration. If the glyphs you reveal mean something in a language you can't read, you can understand them while they are glowing as if you knew that language. You basically become a forensic UV light for what magic spells. Fuck? Oh my god. Activate <laughs> blue light mode. <laughs> oh god. <clears throat> oh Jesus. That's um that's sick. I love the fact that they've gone and given a that's like that's a dungeon crawling utility thing. Mm-hmm. That's like, oh cool. We've got, you know, we've got a glyph tile that shoots magic missile in every direction. Oh, well, I know that tile's there now. That's that's sick. We're going to, like, like you know, a lich's, like, base or tomb or whatever. Their lair. Their lair or, like, there's an evil wizard. That's a great utility to have. Definitely. Mm. Uh, the next one is Runic Torrent. Upon reaching 14th level, you can channel Runic Energy to overpower even the staunchest defenses. What a word, staunch. What a word. Staunch. staunch. Damn, this book's full of all good words. I know, I'm going to steal everything. <laughs> I'm going to steal all these words. Uh, when you cast a spell, you can expend two charged runes to cause the spell to deal force damage instead of its usual damage types. Additionally, all creatures targeted by the spell within the spell's area must succeed on a strength saving throw. Against your spell save DC, will be knocked prone or pushed up to 15 feet away. And the spell's point of origin, your choice. Once you use this feature, you can't do it again until you complete a short or long rest. Excellent stuff. Fighting on a cliffside? Not for long. You're out. Is Peace. That... So you can push them back up to 15. Or feet. knock them prone. You get to choose which one. So if I shot someone with many magic missiles. Yeah. Do they go back 15 feet per magic missile that hits them, you reckon? Like, I don't know. It's, it's obviously like, probably in like the wording. and. Additionally, all creatures targeted by the spell or within the spell's area. I'm assuming once you get them once, it's not going to do yeah. it again. To yeah. be fair, that could be up to your DM's discretion. If your DM's like, that's fucking like, gangster. Yeah, they're getting hit by four spells in a row. Yeah, it's literally. Looking back 120 <laughs> feet. It's like, hey, what the hell, man? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> That, that like again rule of cool like as an example if we were fighting a, if we were fighting like a decently hammered enemy and you've coined up this entire thing to be able to just go with magic missile and launch them off the side of a mountain I'd probably let you do it yeah. but it'd be like it's it's a yes but or no and mm-hmm. uh, sorry yes and or no but so as an example, it's like if you say I'm gonna launch magic missile and push this guy 120 feet, it's like okay, off the side of a mountain. For me, I would go okay. I'm absolutely gonna let you do that, but you don't get to get the damage from magic missile. You get the falling damage because they take one d6 per 10 feet of falling. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like balancing it out. Again, 
entirely, I don't know how you guys listening run your campaigns, but I think Rule of Cool can come into play with that spell, definitely. I think, mm. so don't you dare go try and doing it every time. Like, I'll, I'll kill you. <laughs> the next one is Arcane Exemplar. Starting at 18th level, you can use a bonus action and expend a charge rune to become a being of pure magical energy. While in your exemplar form, you gain the following benefits. Oh my god. You have a flying speed of 60 feet. Creatures have disadvantage on saving throws against your sorcerer spells. You have resistance to damage dealt by spells. So it gets halved. Whenever you cast a spell of first level or higher, you regain hit points equal to the spell's level. Your exemplar form lasts until the end of your turn. However, you can expend a charged room at the end of your turn, no action required, so it's just a free action, to extend the duration until the end of your next turn. When your exemplar form ends, you are stunned until the end of your next turn. Once you use this feature, you can't use it again for a long rest until you complete a long rest. I'm so glad you added that bit at the end because that whole time I was thinking like, this is just sorcerer fanboys flicking their bean. Yes, sir. I activate my runic power form. Oh, I can't exemplar. exemplar. I'm exemplary, yeah. I'm, I'm exemplary. <laughs> they say that. I myself am exemplary. I magic Chad mode. Magic Chad. Um, yeah, so I can fly Chagic. and I do this bonus damage and I restore HP or whatever it was. Um, I'm so glad you added that they get stunned at the end. <laughs> or, or if it was just like, this ends at the end of the turn. It's it. I like that but it's like yeah when your exemplar form ends you are stunned until the end of your next turn I feel like that's you <laughs> that's a wizard going on a fucking heroin rage <laughs> and then coming out of it with the cold sweats come down of the lifetime like oh, oh man whoa man and like sitting in the corner like like a big les with the mangoes ah! <laughs> like just screaming freaking out that's that's cool though I think that that is a good balance it's the same as like the College of Tragedy Bard with that um that yeah. huge buff at the end on their last spell I can't again I can't remember what it's called but like you instantly drop to zero hit points and that's it so I think that's really good um but yeah that actually bounces out the sorcerer so this is actually going to be the final class for the book if I'm going through this correctly um it's the blood magic wizard <laughs> Which I, this is the one that drew my attention the most. The picture in the book is Gangster, a pale white tiefling with red trim. Whoa. Tell me that is not the coolest That's shit you've cool. ever seen. That's, That's Gangster. If I make, if I'm, not if, when, when I make a blood wizard, I'm absolutely going to make it a white tiefling. That's the, that's the final boss of Naruto Shippuden. Ah! What's her name? Um, I don't know. Kaguya? Someone like that. You know what's funny? Yeah. This this um this character the in the book is called um, Ona Kinabari. <laughs> look at this. Look at this. Here we this go. Naruto final boss. And tell me that's just not the same thing. <laughs> what's the character called? Uh, Kaguya. Oh wow, Kaguya she's Kinabari. Like, Jesus. She's like the. She's like the 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 mother of all ninjas. I think. I don't know. I haven't watched Naruto in a long time. I love how the reverse harem jutsu works on her. Sexy dudes? Question mark. <laughs> wow. All right, you nerds. <laughs> you Naruto nerds. Welcome to the anime corner. <laughs> <laughs> so, blood magic. Considered taboo by many societies and magic practitioners, the use of blood magic, also known as hemocraft, is a rare art that harnesses the latent powers of a creature's vitality to fuel and amplify the caster's own abilities. I do like that I've added in that it's like some people are just like, mm, brother, we're not going to touch that. Ah. Yeah. But it's like, 
I feel like every time you... And I, I think I've only seen it in like one or two video games. Uh, the one that comes to mind is Dragon Age 2. I was going to say, God damn, I say Bloodborne. I love Bloodborne. No, like Bloodborne, I don't think there's really like... Now, they were drinking that shit. That shit. <laughs> they, were. they were just drinking that they shit. They were using that mad blood for everything. Yeah, everything. The beast blood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's me. That's his blood. Yeah, that's a cleric <laughs> beast. That video. It's a great video by Plague of Gripes. Anyway. Um, no, no, no. Um, there's a, there's an, el- an elven party member you get who gets blood magic. And it's this is hard. Dragon Age, right? Marilyn, is it? Mer- mm. Anyway. Uh, but no, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, that's bad. Oh, they're like not about it because it's blood magic. I, 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 think, I think it's very frowned upon. Fair, fair enough. I do like that, though. It's like... Oh, Meryl. Sorry. Meryl. Good call, good call. Meryl. I just want to bang you. <laughs> Where is it? Oh, I just lost okay, myself. She was so tiny. No, you're right. So yeah, nice. Considered yeah. taboo by many societies, magic practitioners, the use of blood magic, also known as hemocraft, is rare art that harnesses the latent powers of a creature's vitality to fuel and amplify the caster's own abilities while manipulating and weakening the bodies of enemies from the inside. Similar to the, the blood cleric. Uh, some more of the macabre mages seeking to empower their arcane pursuits turn to hemocraft as a means of bolstering their spells, giving their own life's blood to reach new heights of frightening magical prowess. I love the way they describe that. that. The secrets of Hemocraft and other forms of blood magic were once the sole purview of the mysterious Claret Orders. In recent years, however, these secrets have begun to spread beyond the Order's members and into the hands of less scrupulous mages. Blood magic has a bad reputation in Taldore, even though its powers can be used for much more than evil. So I, I really like it's like... They really don't like this, even though it has the capability to be great and has the capability, not great, has the capability to be used for good. I do like that. So, blood channeling. When you choose this arcane tradition at second level, you are able to use your own depleted life essence to channel your magical abilities. Whenever your current hit points are below your hit point maximum, you can use your own body as an arcane focus. Yeah, whenever your current hit points are below your hit point maximum. So as, as long as you've got damage under your hit point maximum, you can use your own body as an arcane focus. In addition, when casting a wizard spell that requires a costly material component, you can forego that component by taking 1d10 necrotic damage Jesus. per 50 gold pieces of the cost of the component, minimum 1d10. This damage can't be reduced in any way. If this damage reduces you to zero hit points, the spell fails, but the spell slot is not expended. So the spell fails, but you don't lose the ability. You don't lose the slot to cast that spell. You better pump that cost, that people. You know what I like about that though? Instantly, I'm. Uh, this might come up in the next page. Instantly, what that comes to mind is, as a blood wizard, you just carry a dagger, or you can like discuss. You can discuss with your DM about having like. Prime example: Attack on Titan. Uh, the ring that yes. Annie has with the spike. Imagine just having that where it's like it just flicks out or it's a stud on your belt. You scratch yourself, you take 1d4 damage, you instantly can start using blood magic. Yeah. But again, that falls into, that's such a good mechanic, but it's so risky, right? You need to, the damage can't be reduced, but you can be healed. But the issue is when you're healed, if you get back to full, that's it. You can't use your blood as an arcane focus. Imagine you don't have an arcane focus and and your whole thing is about that. And the enemy is like a smart ass and they heal you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Don't give them fucking ideas. Ha- the hand, the hand your... of harm and the hand of mercy, monk. Because you have to use Heal. your, um, you have to use your turn to attack yourself to activate your focus, 
So if they just use their turn to heal you, yeah, that's definitely you. that's definitely a thing. Again, that's like you would discuss that with your DM, like that ex example of why you guys said, "Hey, I want to play a blood wizard." There would be a point where we'd have to discuss: Does that count as a bonus action? Does that count as an action? Is that does that classify as a free object interaction? Because you get one free object interaction for your turn. Remember, no, that doesn't count as an action or a bonus action. So it's like because like like donning and doffing your weapons. Counts as like that's your interaction with an object on top of your action, your bonus action, your movement. So there's heaps of things you could do, right? That you could do. But I like that instantly they're like, hey, if you don't already have an arcane focus, you can use your body at the risk of harming yourself. Or well, it's even good just having as a, um, if you're not going to build your character around a backup, that, having that as a thing, it's like, you get disarmed, or you know this person's like, I fought a wizard before. You know they yeah. they do something, they they mess you up, they disarm you. You don't have a focus. You get captured, or something. How um, cool would that be in a jail cell? Mm -hmm. They're sitting there ripping you apart because they're like, oh, you've been caught. You're gonna get killed. You just have one of your party members punch you. You bite your lip, and instantly it's just like, out like, the bars. Oh, like you, like you punch a guard, and like they hit you back, the shit out of you, and you're like. What have you done? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, that's, that's, that's sick. I love that. Give him a kink for it. Give him a kink. Yeah, it's like, don't kink shame me, lightning bolt. <laughs> um, next one. Uh, Just really, actually, before we go on to that. Yes. I'm looking at some, like, the, like, more expensive, like, spells and stuff that costs stuff. Oh, yeah, material components, um, yeah. So it was 1d10. 1d10 per 50 gold pieces. <laughs> yeah. You're not you're not doing some of these spells. Like, some of this stuff, like, Ruby Dust is 1,500 gold. So yeah. you're, you're dying. Yeah, I actually did remember seeing someone post about that on YouTube where it was, um, they're like, look, you can run the risk, but, like, it'll kill you. Like a diamond is 500, so you're taking up to 100 damage. Yeah. Oh, sorry, uh, it's 500, so you're taking 10 d10s of damage. Yeah. That's potentially a lot. Oh, end game, end game, run. yeah, end game, mm -hmm. not so much. You'd probably be okay. You got a healer on your team? Sweet, you're probably gold, right? Mm -hmm. But again, it comes in like with the blood cleric thing. It's that, it's the, does the reward outweigh the risk? Yeah. It's such a good it's utility. It's the last fight of a long campaign. You just DMs, fucking like, send it. Look, he's, this bad guy's looking, he's looking worn. You got no spell slots left, or you got one, but you got no components or something. Yeah. You're like disintegrate. <laughs> like, oh well. Which because disintegrate um doesn't cost much for material components, which is great. So word I was like, power kill. Yeah, power word kill. Yeah, <laughs> you, that's it. You're dead. Uh, sanguine burst. Also at second level, you learn how to weave your life force into a spell you cast, boosting boosting its intensity at the cost of your vitality. Whenever you roll a damage for a spell you've cast a first level or higher, you can choose to take necrotic damage equal to the spell's level to re-roll a number of the damage dice up to your intelligence modifier, minimum of one. This damage can't be reduced in any way, and you must use the new rolls. So similar to the um, the Blood Domain Cleric. Yeah, you're basically getting like that sort of extra passive yeah. damage, but this is like where it's... Uh, you're choosing it too. So I was like, whenever you roll damage for a yeah. spell, you've cast a first level or higher, you can choose to take necrotic damage equal to the spell's level uh, to roll a number of the damage dice up to your intelligence modifier. So it's like, you can just, but you have to use the new roll, which is gangster. So I was like, you roll, oh, I don't know what spell it will be, but 2d10s. Yeah. Right. Um, I was like, oh, that's kind of pissy. 
look, it's 50-50 down the middle. You might get better, you might get worse. But again, balance. Does the reward, is the reward worth it? If not, it's very cool though. I like that. It's like, it's basically just taking the, the wizard abilities and going, hey, you can actually cheat that system at the cost of your life points, which I think is sick. Life points, Yu-Gi-Oh! I don't know why I said that instead of HP. I lay down my trap card. It was like, hey, you see my new Duel Master? It's a fucking gun. <laughs> That's a recurring thing for me, I Marco. I Dark Magician. I summon Desert Eagle. Fifty cal ACP. Oh, that um, just quickly um, that uh, VR Yu-Gi-Oh video where he's like, I summon Pot of Greed, which lets me play Pot of Greed. He's like. No, and the guy's like, I don't think that does that. <laughs> you actually do it. It's like pretending to be Joey. He's like, no, it does do that. <laughs> I read the card. It does do that. You can do that. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, those VR videos are a lawless no, place. No, no, whoops. I forgot to play this. It, it, the Celtic Guardian. <laughs> <laughs> Which lets me play as an effect. The Pot of, of Greed. <laughs> I do. Wow, Yogi. Wow, little Yogs. Ah, oh, I do love that. Yu-Gi-Oh, a time bygone. Uh, just quickly, because I'm a big Yu-Gi-Oh fan, if you guys are interested in anime, um, watch Yugi killing Weevil on the train, and <laughs> watch um, Yami Yugi losing um, the Seal of Orikalkos battle and losing regular Yugi. Um, top 10 best anime moments ever. Okay. I'm going to sky, I'm watching Mirror. <laughs> you looking this up right now? Look up, look up, Yugi kills Weevil. <laughs> Overkill. Uh, next one. Uh, Bond of Mutual Suffering. Uh, at 6th level, when a creature you can see hits you with an attack, you can use your reaction to bind your vitality to the attacker and force them to share your pain. The attacker takes damage equal to the damage you took. This feature cannot be used against constructs or undead. You can use this feature once. You must finish a short or long rest before you can use it again. God damn it, Marco. Uh, at 14th level, you can use this feature twice between rests. So that's someone going, I'm going to hit you for like 30. No, you. Like, yeah. Yeah, like if I'm going down, you're coming down with me. Reverse. Yeah, it's, well, it's more like Uno share? <laughs> Question mark? We both draw four? We, bo- we, bo- we both get to draw four and suffer? Hell yeah, brother. That's like... You being in depression around your friends so much that they also become depressed. That's what I read that as. That's lovely. That's romance. That's That's that's, romance. That's tragedy. But that as a spell, right? Or that as an effect. Can you read read the the wording of it again? Uh, Sorry, the wording. Just read it again. At sixth level, when a creature you can see hits you with an attack, you can use your reaction to bind your vitality to the attacker and force them to share your pain. Mm. The attacker takes damage equal to the damage you took. This feature cannot be used against constructs or undead. You can use this feature. You can use this feature once. You must finish a short or long rest before you can use it again. At 14th level, you can use this feature twice between rests. Mm. The fact that that's a, a reaction, as well, is is incredible. Yes. Yeah. It's like you don't even have to like try and pre-plan for it. Mm. It's like, and like barbarian oh, comes. Use this? Yeah. What if I don't use it this time? Barbarian comes in, smacks you for like 30 points of damage. It's like, okay, we're going to share it. Or probably a barbarian is probably a bad one because they can obviously rage and like half it. But if you've got like that one big bad evil guy or like a cocky character that's just blasting your ass with fucking like pistol whipping spells, you can just go, wow, that one really sucked. And just give it back. And then it's like, fuck. 
<laughs> that sucks. <laughs> like, and that could be a, that could be a fight winner. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, especially if it's like boss uses legendary action to summon meteor. Yeah, yeah, meteor strike. Yeah, like, literally. You look back at your team and you're like, you know that scene in um in Man of Steel where the dad goes into the tornado to like save the dog. Oh yeah. And then like. Superman's gonna go in there and he like he just puts his hand up and then he like disappears <laughs> into it but imagine it's like summon meteor is coming and like the the, the sorcerer just looks back at his team and he's like shakes his head and like, leave me yeah <laughs> pity on this boy <laughs> next one tight. it is tight I just love the names of it too glyph of hemorrhaging Starting at 10th level. How many words can you use for blood? How yeah. Glyph of hemorrhoids. A glyph of hemorrhaging. <laughs> <laughs> a glyph of hemorrhoids. Hemorrhoids. <laughs> starting at 10th starting at 10th level, when you damage a creature with a spell, you can choose to curse that creature for one minute. While cursed this way, whenever the creature is hit by an attack, it takes an extra 1d6 necrotic damage. At the end of each creature's turn, it can make a constitution saving throw against your spell save DC, ending the curse on a success. This feature cannot be used against creatures that are undead or constructs. Once you finish this feature, once you use this feature, you can't use it again until you finish a short or long rest. So basically it's like, I'm going to curse you just for like extra 1d6 damage. I guess if they're, if they're vulnerable to necrotic damage, it's going to be really good because you're like, you're going to double that points. But 1d6 seems a little, at 10th level, 1d6. Did I that damage, sorry? Uh, whenever the creature is hit by an attack after you curse them. I actually think that's very broken. How so? Imagine that gets cast on them, and then your barbarian goes in, they get to attack twice, you know, depending on... And three times for fighters when they hit level 20 as well. Action surge? Oh, my God. (laughs) Imagine getting hit four times. That's four D6s extra damage. Or just... That's gonna... I think that adds up so much bonus damage, especially once you get to... Like your level five characters, like most character like fighting characters at level um, five get like they can attack twice or something. I think like that. so. It's like five or six for mm. memory. Yeah, like a lot will get something like that. Um, so I think that that the the opportunity to do so much bonus damage, um, very high. I th- I think actually would be great. Now you put it like that, actually not a bad point. Twisted your mind. Corrupt you from the inside. So the next one is thicker than water. Upon reaching 14th level, so this is when you start getting like cap. This is like when you cap in your your um, class abilities, not your spells. I thought you were talking like no cap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cap. no cap. Like thicker than water. Upon reaching 14th level, the blood that flows through your veins is empowered with arcane vigor that mends wounds and helps preserve your life. Whenever a spell or magical effect causes you to regain hit points, you regain an additional number of hit points equal to your proficiency bonus. In addition, while you are concentrating on a spell, you have a resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage from non-magical attacks. As a spellcaster, that having resistance, even though it's like 14 level, that's end game stuff, you're fighting a campaign boss, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like that's a lot of damage. Like really getting just cut down the middle. Yeah. That's sick. I think that's good. Especially for like such a unique build of wizard. Mm, I think I think that like it adds to that thing we were talking about ages ago. Um at the start of this character is like um survivability for for mad for mages. Yeah, for spellcasters, like, yeah. Like a big thing. Yeah, like the ability to not be squishy is so important, mm. I think. And you play spellcasters. Yeah. 
So, like, yeah, like, as a spellcaster, primarily, like, a lot of your characters I've seen you play, even if it's, like, a martial class, like clerics and stuff, you do spells. How do you think that goes? Like, how? what do you think of that? The ability to... A blood wizard is not taking away the damage as much as it's either being able to basically give it the old and give it back to someone or drastically cut it down so that you can stay fighting. How do you feel as a spell, like a spellcast player? I think the whole sort of mechanic of those kind of abilities both poses the greatest risk to spellcasting classes, but that's why it works so well. Because it's like it's a it's basically like an all or a nothing. Like, what are you prepared to give? Yeah, it makes me think of that quote from Apocalypse Now, which is at the beginning of a song by uh, World of Pain. Excellent beatdown band. Don't ask what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. <laughs> like it's it, it's that personified as a class in D anD. d Yeah. What don't ask what you can get. What are you prepared to give, give. to get? To get what you want. I think that's the thing yeah. with like blood magic. You know, especially like something that's like using your own life force. Definitely. Mm. It's yeah, definitely. And I think it's like um And that's the backhand of like the monkey's paw of every one of these like strong things. And like you can imagine if it kept going up, like it's like the skill tree kept going up. Oh my god, like yes. There'd be, there'd be skills where it's like, you know, drop yourself to one HP and you know, get you know? And it follows into that exact same thing I believe yeah. we talked about in part one. Molly Mock Tea Leaf, Critical Role Campaign 2, Blood Hunter. It's the same thing. Like, Hemocraft yeah. was spent, always built on a lot of that stuff from, like, the Blood Hunter and all that sort of stuff. When you're prepared to give something to really hammer home how badly you want to win, you could die. And look what happened. He went down, and I believe the character that killed him was Lorenzo. Spoilers. Like, you should know by now. Like, that episode's old as shit. Um... Matt played it smart and he's like, well, what's this guy going to do? He's just going to run this guy through to make sure he's dead. And that's what he did. He just sticks a glaive through him and just instantly kills kills him. Because, well, he fails two death saves and then he does it again to make sure he doesn't come back. It's basically the equivalent of sticking the sword through and just giving it a quick saw and then pulling it out and making sure he's dead. Like, that's the risk you pose doing these sort of things. And if you're willing to do it or you build your party around being able to do it the possibilities that you have are endless. Well, it changes the weight of everything you do as well on that battlefield because instead of it being like a, oh, like I'm going to cast a spell and it'll cost me a, like a spell slot, but then I've got a bunch of cantrips. Or it'll cost me material components that yeah. I've, I've bought. Yeah. It's like, are you ready to give your life? I think it makes, it, it gives you something else to think about as well in terms of like being squishy because yeah. you can't, it's like, all right, I'm a I'm, I'm this wizard. I can take probably two, three good shots, but it's like, hey, look, if I get hit twice, this nerfs me a lot, and then I just become a regular wizard. Like, what's the point of being a blood wizard if I'm on five HP for this whole battle? Yeah. Like, but then there's a, there's nothing to get. But then there was that um that thing. Uh, let me go back through. I just closed the book, but I want to find it again about how as long as you're under your HP, you get you can, a. Well, I think you can use the arcane focus. Yes, as, like, as long as you're under your HP maximum, you can start using your Blood and Arcane Focus, which, you know what I think it does as well? I think it builds upon the, um, what is the word I'm thinking of? It oh, it changes the, percep- the perception of wizards because I see, I've seen small instances where people like actually scoff at a wizard class because they're like, well, you're so squishy. Like, what are you going to do about it? It's like, yeah, 
look what I'm willing to give to make sure that I'm stronger than you. Yeah. The blood wizard is literally that the, like, I'm going to put it all on the line just to prove that I'm the best. Like everyone spends their whole, everyone's play style is do most damage, take least damage. Whereas this one's like, I'm going to do the most damage and hell, I might come out the other end taking the most damage, but yeah. it'll be worth it in the end. It's so sick. I I personally enjoy that a lot, but that's, that's it. That's every new subclass from the Taldore Reborn campaign lot. setting. That was a lot. How much is that in total? I think it was eight, eight I believe. Eight? Eight or nine. There was four nine. at the beginning, four at the... Four, yeah, yeah. I, I think, think it was four at the beginning, four at the end. That was down below. You got the Rune Child, you got the Cobalt Soul, um, you got the Blood Magic Wizard, um, Juggernaut Barbarian, Blood Domain Cleric, Oath of Open Sea Paladin, Moon Domain Cleric, Circle of Blighted Druid, and then College of Tragedy Bard. Wow, nine. Five, no, geez, nine. Mm-hmm. I'll start counting with who's like five, six, seven. I'm like, I, I, I literally have a six <laughs> intelligence. Yeah, I have a six in intelligence in real life. Like I'm so, I'm like, I capped out at six. What's Maybe that? seven on a good day. What was, what was everyone's favorite new subclass? I'm so torn between the College of Tragedy Bard and the, the Hemocraft Wizard, like the well, Blood let's Wizard. Do it, let's do it two separate ways. Let's do it. Which one... Which one sounds the coolest or is the coolest? And then which one is our favorite or like I'm most likely to play? Out of these ones? Out, out of these, these ones. Okay, these cool. Ones. For me, automatically, Blood Wizard just sounds the coolest because it just looks like something on the front. It reminds me of something on the front cover of a fucking death metal record mm-hmm. that I would just find at the local Woody's music shop way back in the day. I was like, Mom, I'm going to buy that CD. I was like 13 years old. I was like, that's sick. I, mean, I, saw, I saw the Ascendancy record by Trivia. It was the best album cover ever. Um, it sounds the coolest. I also like the idea of a Blood Domain Cleric. Uh, the College of Tragedy bar was good. I think for me, I think I would probably go both of them would be the Blood Wizard. Mm-hmm. Like, sounds the coolest. I'd probably be more inclined to play the Blood Wizard because of the roleplay aspects as well as the cool... The class abilities on top of the spells you can get. Sell it for me. Close second, Oath of the Sea Paladin. That Oath of the Open Sea Paladin shit was just... It's um, sickening. (laughs) Sickening. That was the tea for me. What about you guys? Well, I think most likely to play would be the... The Oath of the Sea. Is it Oath of the Sea? Oath of the Open Sea Oath Paladin. Of the Open Sea Paladin. A lot of O's. A lot of O's in that. Far out. Um, because I love playing a lot of Paladin classes. I just love the way they work. Um, I think that would be the funnest to play and to role play. Um, but I think my favourite is probably the Bard. The Culture Tragedy Bard? The Tragedy Bard. Like, that one sounds so good. I think that one was written really well. <laughs> the My Chemical Romance Bard. And that, that's all it was. Like, you know, this just like, you're, you're powered through depression. <laughs> like, you know, like all those were like, you, you know, you like, you sing tales of woe and depression to the, to the enemy, you know? They regret their decisions and they have to, um, soliloquize. do a soliloquy. Yeah, soliloquize, that's the word. Their demise, like it's their, they can tell yeah. to do it. That's pretty good. <laughs> like, and like, I feel like I'd love to play that as, you know, like, it, I feel like it's the best or like my favorite supporting class. That I'd love a to bard. Play. I'd love to just play like the bard at the back of the party and just be like, <sighs> and on top of like like the class abilities for like the College of Tragedy bard, on top of bard spells like what you get as bard spells, that is a fucking stacked 
class. Like, is that, that is, like, am I wrong to say that? Like, that is yeah. a, you could fucking build that to just be an absolute death machine of a class. Mm. That's sick. So I think, yeah, definitely those two. Sky. What about you? Your fa- favourite one, or sounds the coolest, and then most likely to play? Well, my most likely to play would be the monk. I know that I... You're literally right! You're ripping on it! Listen, listen. I got whiplash! Man, I could, I could drag every fucking subclass through the mud that's in D&D. There's, there's always going to be something that's well, not to... to <laughs> but that's why we love it. <laughs> to someone's liking or that's not going to synergize well with what you want to build as a character. That's as, why we call her devil's advocates, guys. <laughs> as much as I think that you have to stretch yourself across the core stats to really milk what you want out of that class if you can work your way around it get yourself maybe some magical items that might assist you with that um you know be really smart when you do get your level ups and you do get your stat boosts i reckon that's right because the free yeah yeah i i reckon that would be my class most likely to play because i just really like the monk classes as as a base um but the coolest sounding one for for me is as much as I really like the Bard and I think the Bard is the best. So is this the one you're more likely to play or is this the one that you just think is the coolest? The Monk is the one I'd be more likely to play. Right. Um, and whilst I think the Bard is the best out of them all... Can I tell you yes? Yeah, go on. Is it the Druid? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say Druid. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think the coolest sounding one is the Circle of Blighted Druid. Mm. I, I, In terms of the mechanics of a class, not my favourite... But the aesthetic of it mm-hmm. and the role playing opportunities that can come with it yeah. sounds fucking awesome. I think, I think, again, like what we were talking about when we went over the druid class, the ability that you just get to conjure animals automatically, like every druid class has the ability to do that. But the fact that you just get to turn that thing into a fucking yeah. walking nuke yeah. of like bile, I guess. Yeah. Boomer bile. Yeah. Left for dead. I'm just like reading these. It's gangster. Like, like this one just sounds cool. And the, I think it was can you please if you've already got it up, is it when you launch an attack and you put a creature to zero, you can create one of those saplings? Is that how that works? I don't have that up. Oh, there was there's I'll something quickly go back. I wanna find the it's that sapling thing for me. The yeah. fact that you can just pull that little bitch out of thin air. Is um oh, the, the like the um blighted sap saplings or yes, something like that. Yes, it's here. Here well, we go. You also get a bonus to your AC while wild shaped as well. You yeah. get plus two to your AC. Because you have spiky protrusions. Oh, here we go. Yeah, so it was at sixth level you learned to summon the feral children of the forest from the life force of your enemies when a creature that is not undead or a construct takes damage within the area of your defile ground feature, you can use a reaction to summon a blighted sapling in an unoccupied space within five feet of the creature. So good. As long as you've got that defile ground going, which I think you'd be fucking stupid to I not cast every time. Yeah, like literally, that should be the first thing you do yeah. every single time. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm... Um, like, uh, bless like most most clerics will like bang bless on somebody or something like anyone who has bless I can't remember what exact class to get exactly you always give them that you want to get that plus four to your your ability checks on everything yeah. or that plus six whatever it is so like just whack the file just whack the file ground down do it right at a choke point where you know everyone's gonna go that's it yeah. the second someone gets hit oh say hello to my little slimy friend <laughs> and then they want to you know, if they want to focus that, then it just explodes and they get... Yeah, conjure animal. Oh, that's right. I'm bringing you in a, a fucking diseased elk that's just got a pustule on it the size of a mm. minivan. Oh, fuck. And, then like, and it's just a... Why you got to say it like that? 
Oh. And then like the role playing, like Sky was saying, like like every and then every time you wild shape, imagine being just like a twisted version of that creature. I feel like, like it would do something like like wild like obviously every person I give absolute freedom to how people wild shape. Prime example, Dawn's episode, um, your clothes are a part of your sentience as a creature. So when you change into pile of rats, everything you have becomes rats, your weapons, everything. I love that. Imagine playing a blight druid and going to wild shape and it's like you I think I believe it's like you automatically get AC boost because of the protrusions on your body at a certain level imagine doing the thing from Van Helsing with their lycanthropes where the werewolves peel their skin off and the werewolf comes out underneath every time they change back you just do it again imagine doing that where it's like you jump and flip and your skin and everything just tears and like there's just whatever creatures underneath and you're like a bear imagine a bear with like fucking spiky shoulder pads and shit like chitinous material coming out the role play on top of the mechanics is fucking just undeniable it's undeniable as much as it is such like a big thing for this subclass I think all of these like have such a great like the subclasses in general subclasses have such a great ability to um just like bang RP stuff out Oh, definitely. I honestly reckon out of all of those, listening to the Rune Child one, I think was probably, not that there's anything wrong with it, but compared to the others, I think sounded the most underwhelming compared mm-hmm. to the other subclasses that were there. I actually, the thing that shocked me, I felt like, I think we were talking about, I think I felt the monk was really short. Yeah, that was really short the as m- well. Was the, short. The, monk was, yeah. the monk was exceptionally short, which was, again... The, co- the Cobalt Soul is built up as such a big defying, a big force in the Critical Role universe. So to add them into your campaign, and again, any DM or world builder, you can change it to whatever you want. Yeah. You can have a Cobalt Soul Monk be, um, like in our campaign, we have the Church of the Cresting Sun. They're a big political force. Yeah. It could be a Monk of the Cresting Sun. And you literally just give them all the same abilities. You yeah. just reflavor some stuff. In You could literally make them uh, a group of spies. You were like, oh, you know yeah. what? Every Cobalt Soul Monk that you guys come across is going to be um, part of a spy network. It's called something mm-hmm. else. There's heaps of stuff you can change it to. But I was like, damn, I really thought being a critical role thing, it would have had a little bit more. The intro was like so like in-depth and I was like, wow, this sounds exactly how I would like it. It's like you study your entire life to know exactly how to defeat your enemies and, then and stuff. Like- and some of their abilities do go into that and stuff like especially with like you know their pressure points and you can make them tell the truth and make them vulnerable to different types of damage but i'm just like i kind of just like yeah actually that goes on to a good tangent so we all have a good idea of which ones we really liked which ones we're more likely to play you know we have some particular gripes and stuff if you could change something about one of these classes that would like you would feel more fulfilled what do you think it would be going over the ones that we've done like we and we can flick back to the book if we need to cover something but I feel like there was a couple that could possibly be done differently. What's the um, point distribution like with that um, Rune Child one, where you get the um, oh, what is it? Is it the points you get? The it's, uh, yeah, you get sorcery rune. points. You yeah, get so for every sorcery point you use, uh, you charge a rune on your skin, and that. How can... many do you get in the beginning? Let's go back to that. So. Runic magic. Beginning at first level, you learn additional spells when you reach certain levels in this class as shown on the runic spells table, which is the one I have here in the book. Each of these spells counts as a sorcerer spell for you, but it doesn't count against the number of sorcery spells you know. Automatically gain a free spell, basically, on that rune is what I'm getting from that. 
Uh, and when you gain a level in this class, you can replace one spell you've gained from this feature with another spell of the same level. The new spell must be an abjuration or transmutation spell from the sorcerer, warlock, or wizard spell list. So as an example, sorcerer spells, runic. Uh, first level, long strider, protection from evil and good. So it's like you get to pick one of those two things. Third level, lesser restoration, protection from poison. Fifth level is glyph of warding, magic circle. Seventh is death ward, freedom of movement. I personally think death ward is always the one you want to take. Freedom of movement, you shouldn't really be using, in my opinion, if you're a sorcerer. You want to be at the back of the party, dishing out damage at a distance. Again, because you're kind of squishy. That's just me. Uh, greater restoration and telekinesis for ninth level. Sorry. What I'm reading here is that... Uh, is that apparently a lot of people feel that it starts off really, like, weak. Yeah, that's like, kind of like what I little, was thinking this of. This little blurb I'm reading here. Yeah, read it out. It um, says, like, which part? This one on Reddit? No, this is on... I don't know what the hell CBR.com is or who the hell. But... Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, CBR.com. Thanks, CBR. You guys might be trash. Or you might be the best. We don't know. Um, but they're like, unfortunately, because runes depend on sorcery points, the subclass first level features can't be used until sorcerers gain points at level two. Sorcery points are also far and few, few and far between at low levels, meaning that players won't really be able to make the most of their subclass features until higher levels. Uh, in a class mm. already full of resources for players to manage, adding another makes things overly complicated. So I think like if you're starting a you know, if you're going into it bright-eyed and bushy-tailed as a level one something, I think, you know, this one might not be it the best seemed, one to start It with. seems to me that this character, like, if you... Re- like, we were talking about, like, the role-play thing, about how mm. these rune children are um, sought out for academic study or they're sought out to be abused and used. I think if you want to do... If you're doing a level one campaign where you are starting from the bottom, that could possibly tie into your story, being like you're the child of another rune child or something like that. But it's like, if you really, like like for us, we've always started our one-shots or our campaigns at level three because yeah. you just get access to better stuff. I personally yeah. feel like it is more fun. Yeah, I think, I think if you really yeah. want to... Starting at level one just feels like everyone's playing the exact same character. Like, yeah. You don't really get as much as but, the same, yeah. but at the same time, it's like, yeah, like beginning your first level to learn additional spells, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, okay, so by this point, you know you're a rune child, but you don't really have the capability to access those runes yet, is what I'm picking Maybe up. multi-classing into a rune child or something from... Yeah, yeah. I feel like maybe if you started as a rune child and then multi-classed into something else... So sorcerer, um, sorcerer warlock. That's currently what Marisha Ray is playing on Critical Role Campaign Three as Lord. Now she's a sorcerer warlock, so she has access to like you know, ass whooping spells from the Eldritch invocations, and then all the sorcery spells as well. That's kind of cool. I personally find that with um, m- like multi-classing with classes like that, I feel like you'd be shooting yourself in the foot even more because it'd be mm. even a slower. Because you got to take more than one class. You've just a- you've just stacked your grind double. So I reckon yeah. like. It's, well, it's like if you're doing like a one shot where you start at level 20 and you can make. Just go ham. Yeah, yeah. Well, then that, that would that be would like be, a. Yeah. yeah, that'd be a cool Like thing what we do, did. Yeah. We just but build those ridiculous characters. And you're slowly adding cl- like abilities from one level to one class. Ooh, that was like when we were doing the 21 shot and I did a level 10 cleric and a level 10 fighter and I looked and I was like, oh, a paladin. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I basically went the scenic route. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted you made a little paladin with extra steps. Yeah, you've made a paladin with extra steps, literally. <laughs> I think for me, um, 
Sorry, was there any, before I start going on my absolute tangent, was there anything else regarding, like, changes in classes for you guys as far as, like... That, that was, that was, that was your main gripe? Because <laughs> I'm not going to go well, while, the monk again. While you're looking, I think for me, I personally loved the um, abilities that they gave the Blood Domain clerics. Mm. Like, Blood Puppet, gangster. That's cool. Sanguine Recall, gangster. You sacrifice a portion of your own vitality to recover expended cell slots. As a cleric, awesome. Why can't the blood wizard also do that? What's this for? The I'm I'm talking about how they've used they've made two classes, two subclasses for Hemocraft for yeah. the cleric and the wizard, right? Blood wizard and blood domain cleric. They get channel divinity blood puppet at sixth level. Excellent. Well, if you're also a blood wizard, yes, obviously it's built more towards using your own vitality. I believe that that should have been a shared ability, if not maybe. Is maybe, I think, are they leaning more with blood clerics um, to be the manipulation of blood and blood sorcerers to be the, the use, use of blood? You might be right. Yeah. I'm just thinking it's like if Hemocraft... That's a really good point, actually. That's actually a really, really good point. Thing, I'm, I'm thinking like um, in Avatar. Katara, like, yeah. Fucking like, like, Yeah, that's literally... Actually, you know what? You just sort of cemented me on it now, now that you've said it like that. Maybe I'm just looking at it as like, man, the blood cleric's just so cool. Maybe if we got some of those like really invasive capabilities for the blood wizard, I'd be happy. It doesn't even have to be like the blood puppet is like you can make them do something. Imagine if like the blood wizard just had the ability. It's like if you drew the tiniest bit of blood from a person, you could force them to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Something like just something like that where it's like a bit more cool roleplay utility maybe maybe i'm just looking into it too much because i was like i feel like the blood don't domain cleric is just fucking stacked and i just want the blood wizard to be cooler if you could homebrew a mix of both where you just pick and choose whatever you want not multi-classing just like you make your own just do another clizzard that oh my god i didn't think imagine just multi-classing both Mm. being a blood domain cleric and a blood wizard because you just want to keep expanding your ability to learn both that's like you're starting off as one and realizing that you can use the power for like another and that would be gangster too because like to get blood puppet you've just got to get your cleric up to level six Mm. start at level six and take two or three levels in blood wizard and then get those get those abilities because like sanguine burst at second level you learn how to weave your life force into the spell whenever you roll damage you you cast a first level or higher you can choose to take necrotic damage equal to the spells and uh, the spell's level to re-roll a damage dice. There's so many avenues you can take. That's actually... That'd be so tight. Imagine in a, for like a role-playing aspect, you start off as like the, the blood wizard. Uh, was it blood sorcerer? No, blood um, wizard, yeah. Blood wizard. And like, you know, you're in this whatever college, you're in like your whatever camp, you're learning, you know, blood magics from like the elders and you start using, rather than using your own blood, you start experimenting with playing with the blood of other people. You get kicked out of your tribe, or you get kicked out of your school, your school, the yeah. temple, whatever. I think that'd be a tight way to go. That's cool, Marco. Cool. Giving away free like Starts Emmy rewriting Xena. Scribbling, scribbling. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that was probably my only one. I think the um, I personally think the monk had a little bit too little abilities, in my opinion. That's just me, but also normal monk abilities is like, you know, like deflect missile and stuff. Monk have some pretty stacked abilities you can get, so I, that's probably un- why. Cost too high and not enough goods. Yeah, true. I think the monk could have been stacked better. I personally think the College of Tragedy Bard is perfect. Oh, I agree. Chef's Kiss, I think that multi- that subclass is 
perfectly written. There is nothing I personally think I could change about. The Domain of the Moon clerics, I think both of them were very well balanced. I think the ability to choose between, it's basically like you get to pick what aspects of the moon you're drawing from. Again, very good. Are they the ones that get the double focus ability? Yes. That was stacked. Yeah. You're a, if you're a support cleric, like instead of being on the field throwing a hammer, you're like you're casting spells and using the weapon to defend yourself, the ability to double up that concentration excellent again another class perfect if you pair that with another uh class because when you're doing that you have like disadvantage on on like concentration checks and stuff and you're obviously like making yourself a bit of a target if you just yes. pair that with like a paladin that can like barbarian there's like interrupt attacks yeah like imagine every time you go to get attacked um like a, your paladin steps in and makes them roll disadvantage on like, all their attacks and stuff and they just keep missing so they can't even like, attack you yeah that's that's really cool I think with, if you if synergistically, that'd be a tight one. Oh, that's a big word, synergistically. Yeah, I, I read a dictionary every, before I record it, and I try to slip as many words. All right, Eminem. <laughs> Thesaurus. Did Eminem drink some Mountain Dew before he performs? Nice. <laughs> Why? Does he actually? I don't know, I heard that. I heard oh, that. Jesus. What do you have that repository? Uh, I was thinking about that today, drinking a Mountain Dew. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Um. Okay, so gone over all the classes we've gone over the ones where we'd be most likely to play the ones we thought were really cool we've had our personal gripes about everything um i guess the next big question is um how do we list it on the list sorry are we are we are we rating them or are we gonna um yeah we actually wrote a list for this it's really good okay i mean like we've kind of done that but just by talking let's give them a rating out of 10 well let me open up the books we'll make sure the bar at number one well i got i got the um i got like a, a numbered list here Okay, so um, we'll we'll go through each one and we'll all prattle off our numbers. So we'll start with the Path of the Juggernaut Barbarian. I are we going out of ten? Yeah. I think the Path of the Juggernaut Barbarian probably around a seven. Very good utility, um, but at the end of the day, it's just you're literally just playing a now you're just a barbarian that can sort of fuck with people as you keep hitting them. Mm-hmm. So I give it about a seven only because the ability is more utility than like. The Barbarian, in my opinion, is you're there to deal damage. Mm-hmm. That's your goal. So the ability to, like, knock them prone and move them back, yeah, but I maybe would have liked to see some, like, boosts, like some real damage mm-hmm. boosting. Maybe that's and maybe that's just me, but, like, that, that's just... I'm taking away from that. I was like, for the abilities I give you, not enough damage boosting. I'd give it about a 7, honestly. Um, I'm sort of in agreement with you, but I'd probably give it a 6. There's, there's quite a few barbarian subclasses that top that one like in my opinion you can never trump the zealot barbarian a hundred percent raging rage uh rage uh beyond death insane also fucking hectic album name no one else take it it's mine (laughs) (laughs) marco what about you um juggernaut barbarian i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with a seven as well i think utility wise i really like it i like the idea of being able to play as like the immovable object I like the idea. Like you, can't be, you can't be moved or not. You can't be grappled. You can't be. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, unstop. Sure. I believe it was um unst. Oh, spirit of the mountain, third level, harness your fury, anchor yourself to the ground. Uh, you can't be knocked prone or moved along the ground against your will, uh, while you are raging. So yes. I think if you're a, if you know how to play the game and you know how to have fun with a character in non generic ways, I think you can have a lot of fun. Yeah. True. 
like, paired with a fighter multi-class, you know, getting, like, action surge, attacks, all that sort of stuff. Well, it could be, really be spicy. Cool. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> spicy. Can't say the spicy word in this house because I think about having COVID the spicy cough and it gives me... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> all right, what's next? Um, so next is the Bard. College it's a 10. That's it's a, ten. a fucking 10. That's a 10. I personally think the College of Tragedy Bard is one of the, in the last, in the last couple of releases of books, mm. in like including Wizards of the Coast books, I would think that the College of Tragedy Bard is one of the best subclasses, if not currently the best subclass for 2022. It takes a big emo shit on everyone else. Yeah, true. I definitely agree. Mm, absolute ten. <laughs> I think for me, the the absolute thing for me was just the, the nimbus the nimbus of pathos. Just to roll over it again. Upon reaching fourteenth level, you can touch a willing creature as an action and empower it with tragic heroism <laughs> for one minute. The creature is surrounded by mournful music it's and amazing. ghostly singing, granting it the following benefits and drawbacks: plus four bonus to AC, advantage on attack rolls and saving throws. When the creature hits a target with weapon attack or spell attack, the target gets an extra one d ten radiant damage. Any weapon attack against a creature scores a critical hit on the roll of an 18 or a 20. With the four, the drawback being, when this effect ends, the creature immediately drops to zero hit points and is dying. Once you use this feature, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. That is just the fucking... That's the ultimate support. <clears throat> that is the ultimate, I'm going to get the last laugh on you because fuck off, that's why. <laughs> and like how good for, for role-playing stuff where you can just be like, you know, you've been on this long journey together and it's like... Like do this, like do it for us. Have the rest of my power, or whatever you're gonna. And it's like he and like to. and if I believe, I believe because it's like you can touch a willing creature. I believe that it doesn't say that you can't do it to yourself. So imagine being able to touch that on yourself and just going all out. Like <laughs> this bard plays the song of their entire journey up into that point as a ballad. Um, cool. So we're on a grand absolute ten S tier, best. Lovely. Next is the um the cleric. So we have the we'll go with the, the blood domain first. So the blood domain cleric. Personally, I give that a solid nine. Solid nine. Excellent. Again, like because clerics and paladins sort of inhabit the same bubble a little bit. I think it's really good. The powers are good. Blood puppet, sanguine recall, divine strike, vascular corruption aura. That was gangster. That's for me, it's a solid night. Again, I'm probably just rating a little bit lower because I'm just not that into clerics all the time. Should you maybe... say rating it a bit lower and you're giving it a nine? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I guess that's stopping it from getting a ten. Yeah, is yeah. I just don't have enough knowledge invested in clerics yet to really rate it any higher. But I'll give that a solid nine, nine point five. Don't worry, if you're too scared to give it a ten, I'll give it a ten. I really like that class. You like the blood domain? I fucked with that. Blood domain cleric. Hard. Again, big thing: multi-classing. Multiclassing a blood domain cleric with any other, well, like not even multiclassing it, like just as a, a class mm. for it by itself. I mean, the shit mm. that it comes with, the shit mm. it can fuck. The like. blood domain spells that you get automatically for picking this class on top of like your normal cleric spells: false life, sleep at first, whole person and rave and feebleman at third. Excellent spells. Haste and slow at fifth. Blight and stone skin at seventh. Both kick ass and dominate person and hold monster. At ninth, because it's not whole person, it's whole monster. So you're really just fucking up the battlefield with ninth level whole monster yeah. and dominate. Like that's dominate person. That's excellent spells. And then again, proficiency with martial weapons, also really good. And then just the blood, like the bloodletting spells, like just basically make you an absolute 
monster on the field. What do you rate it, Marco? Um, no, numbers, Marco, numbers. <laughs> I rate it a fuck. Uh, <laughs> um, I rate it a I, fuck out of dictionary. I give it, I get a 10, not just for um, its abilities. I think for, for RP purposes, this shit is freaking tight. Like, because Cleric's always like, you picture your Cleric as like, I don't know, in my head, just like some fat dumpy guy with a bowl cut, <laughs> just like standing at the back of the party, you know, just doing random shit. Just a less cool paladin. The, I think well, that's... That, this that's sick yeah this fucks the way that you explain that's really good because i actually listened to um three black halflings breakdown on clerics because i've been going back through their catalogs i only just found them recently um someone explained it to me i, I can't remember if it was jasper or the um the person they had on as a guest i can't recall but they said paladins are paladins get their power from the belief in the religion whereas clerics get the power from their faith and they can be two very different things and i think yeah, it it RP and stuff, really good. Man, this one's not on D and D Beyond. That's a bummer. That makes me sad. That's a bummer. Mm-hmm. I hope some of them are, or at least most of them get on there. Like I don't know. Maybe we'll see what There's happens. Some critical role stuff on here, but some of them isn't. Some of them isn't. Yeah. Uh, Moon Domain. So the Moon Domain was the next cleric one. Um, this for, to me was really falling into the support cleric class some of the abilities uh blessing of the watchful moon blessing of the blood-drenched moon um even the moon domain spells fairy fire and silent image at first invisibility moonbeam at third uh hypnotic pattern major image at fifth greater invisibility hallucinatory terrain at seventh and nine level at ninth level you get dream and passable this is like support for me which isn't a bad thing but they were really leaning into that i'd probably give it an eight it's just me um, and I might be biased because I like characters that can. I like the the everyman. Like, like they can do it all. I'd I probably give it a. I don't know, maybe like a seven. I don't vibe too strongly with this one. Maybe just because I don't play clerics and spellcasters too often. And Especially support like, classes are tricky. Yeah, you've really got to be into it to be into it. And it's like if you're if you're doing like a long campaign, you might not have a lot of rests or ability like a ways to recover your spell slots and stuff yeah using two concentration spells is tight but that is definitely sick the mind like, of two moons feature yeah I mean, it's sick but it's also like you're chewing through so many spells that's true yeah, yeah. that it, it's kind of inviting you to burn the spell slots mm-hmm. a little bit it's like if you have the, the opportunity to it's the end of the, the thing you're gonna be doing a long rest after this anyway hell let's burn all let's double cast all this shit bbeg but, fights like right at the end just do it I all i think if it, I think that ability, as cool as it, as it is, and it's like, whoa, two moons, um, double concentration, I think it's like you're not going to see it enough for it to be as cool as it is. I think it'll be yeah. very, very cool when it comes out and like you can use it. Um, it'll be hectic. It'll be sick when the opportunity presents itself. Yes. It's like a context thing. Like that, that particular cleric class is really good in context if the environment just happens to be right. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I get what you mean. Maybe it's just because I I find myself always um, uh, with like spell casts and stuff juggling like your spell slots and like trying to make sure. Like, yeah. Oh, I gotta make sure I have this available. I can't. Let's not use a spell this turn. Let's let's do a cantrip or something. Yeah, true. No, I I agree with you on the seven. I'm also there with the seven, but. Um, 
I just, with, with that, one of the things for me as well is that double being able to concentrate on two at the once and sort of just having that open up to really burn through your spells. But you also run the risk of burning through the spells all for naught because I'm pretty sure you've got that disadvantage to concentrate concentration checks when you're yes. running two at once. Um, yep. Starting at 6th level, you use your channel divinity to invoke two Volder Kana of Exandrian Spoons by expanding one use of channel divinity. You can cast a second concentration spell while already concentrating on the first spell. Blah, blah, blah. So, so you can uh, play as a disadvantage on concentration. Oh, yes, it does. Both... Uh, Need to make a constitution saving throw to maintain your concentration on both spells. You make it with disadvantage. I feel like if you're not smart about the way you're building that, mm -hmm. you can't have any loop arounds to that. Because, like, man, the last time I played a, a cleric and I was running a whole bunch of concentration spells, like, yeah, you, like, I picked good, like, core stats to back it up, but... I just found, I don't know if it was shitty luck or something like that, but man, I always fail my concentration checks all the time. Yeah. They were shit. So, like, that's that's just for me as someone who would play it, I'd get pissed off with the class easily if I couldn't make those concentration checks all the time. Because having that ability there, I would be running double concentration spells all the time. Like, that's probably one of the the better abilities that I think the class provides. Well, one of the most enticing ones, I guess. Um, so I think you definitely got to make sure that Warcaster, like, you got to have Warcaster, you know. Yeah, that would work. Yeah, so that gives you um, advantage on con saving throws. Yes. And you make to maintain your yes, 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 yes. Yep, I definitely agree. Uh, next, Circle of the Blighted Druid. Nine. Yeah, solid nine for me. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't see anything. I don't see a reason why this one couldn't just be a ten. Okay. This one, I, I like, I like what it does. I like that it, it fucks. <laughs> it I like, fucks. I like that it make it makes a, a druid even cooler. I think, especially from an RP standpoint, and I love, I love wild shaping and the fact that it just make gives you bonus AC as well. You can get essentially damage over time by casting your little. Plague circle. You do hiccup. Yeah. circle. I, I think... I, the I really defile like ground. Yeah, it's mm, gangster. I like this one. Yeah, yeah. actually, you know what? Well, that, that's enough for me to make it a 10. And not to mention the fact it's like when you summon monsters, you can just make them ticking time bombs. Yeah. That's sick. Like, that's sick. I didn't stutter. I said 9. I'm staying with a 9. That's fine. What's that? That is. Hey, okay. Next is the uh, way of the Cobalt Soul Monk. I personally... Six and a half, maybe seven, only because I thought it would have had more. <laughs> I'm going to give it an eight with my beer goggles on. <laughs> Dang. It's that love-hate relationship. This is a really toxic relationship between you and monks. It's like, that's 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 toxic dick. You keep going back because it's not good for you, but... <laughs> but it's good for you. But it's, it's not good for you. But it's good for you. Eight with my beer goggles on. Dang. Okay, yeah, for me, for me, oh, what did I say, six? I think yeah. it was like, yeah, solid six, six and a half. Only because I thought it would have had more. I like the idea that it's like you gain more power through your knowledge. But where else is it past that? In my opinion. Oh, yeah. I want to go a five because I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick this. Like when I go into a D&D &D campaign, I want to, I'm thinking battle and I'm thinking out of battle, like how it can affect the world. And I can I'm, I would only play this for out of world RP stuff. There isn't enough 
cool shit that he can do. In a yeah, fight. like if you were doing like a like a noir campaign where you're like an investigator, mm. maybe because you're not as much on battle, you're more into your role play. Yeah, definitely. Like a character like this would fit perfectly into the, the embrace, embrace as a campaign. Yeah, but well, tough beat at a multi-class. Uh, but past that, six. I I do say eight with beer goggles just because there's. I think that there's some classes that are worth going through the trouble to meticulously build and grind at the beginning. And I think that whilst I do think they've shortchanged it a bit in this book, mm-hmm. you could you could probably homebrew something up for it in your own campaign if you wanted to go the extra effort and add a bit yes. more in. But if you're willing to grind a bit in the beginning and be a bit particular with how you're leveling up, I think there could be really good payoff down the track. True. If you were okay. if you were to forego like a lot of the cool shit and grind out some of your core stats in those first couple of ability score level ups you can get and really just get those base core stats pushed forward, then you would I think you'd benefit down the road and you'd get a bit more out it's of It's definitely a class that gives you the ability to homebrew a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. Even if you were to mix it in with um maybe some like cool artifact or something like or a yeah. magic item that allows you to do extra bits yeah. possibly yeah that's just again that's just me that's why it's beer goggles though because yeah, like beer if, I, if I had the beer goggles off i'd probably actually be down with marco on a five to be honest fair call yeah that's why for me for me it's a six because <laughs> it doesn't have a lot but what it does have is good enough to just yeah. get it past that point yeah. oath of the open sea paladin this, this is a straight up 10 in my books 10 because he's a paladin, 10 because he's on the ocean, he's just a swashbuckling homie, and 10 because he's a billy, he's a tight, summon water, teleportation, flight, mm, this boy, and from an RP standpoint, me fucks with this. And the spells, third level, create or destroy water, expeditious retreat, expeditious retreat in a fight, perfect, love I think it. It's great for, great for movement. Yes, it, it's literally yeah. It's the it's the it's literally a pirate class. The fighter that keeps moving, love it. Fifth level, Augury, mystery uh, mystery step. I did it again, misty step. Ninth level, call lightning, the freedom of the waves spell, which is new for this book. Thirteenth level, control water, freedom of movement. Seventeenth level, commune with nature, freedom of the freedom of the winds. Um, Channel divinity, marine layer, fury of the tides. Like those actions are sick. The freedom of the wind spell and the. Um, Freedom of the Wave spell, both just crazy. I think that class, for me, that class is probably like a solid 10, 11 if we could go higher. Oh, Damn. Good, like even like the College like the college of Tragedy Bard, absolutely perfect 10. But for some reason, I feel like you could just have so much fun as an Oath of the Open Sea Paladin, mm. in my opinion. I'm probably going to give it maybe somewhere between a 7 and an 8 because that... Really? No, 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 no. listen to me. The and crowd hates and that. And don't make movie. RP excuses for it either because whilst on an RP standpoint, yes, cool, if you were in a campaign that was landlocked, awesome, you could work with that. If you're in a campaign that's landlocked, half of that stuff isn't going to work nowhere near as well. What are you talking about? It's going to work excellently. What's if you're work? landlocked... You can you summon the water. You, you can summon no, the water. No, I know, but I'm saying both thematically and, and mechanically, it would work a lot better literally at, what oh, it's named at. I see what like, I see what she's getting at. It's it's definitely it a C where it's versatility. like Yeah, the versatility can be at at um a D a disadvantage on a landlock campaign, which I can see, but I feel like if you really wanted to play this class, you could definitely 
do something up with your DM oh, yeah. to adjust I'm it. I'm not saying it doesn't work on land. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it doesn't work as good on land. I can see, I can see where you're getting that from though. Mm, I don't think I don't think that's a drawback. I think I just think you're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that this character works just as good, if not better, on land. I think I could play this character better on land than anyone could play it on a boat. <laughs> I think that the stuff I could write for this character, I think the way that you can make this character act and the people around them act just by seeing them and the stuff they do um, could be incredible. I like I like seeing that... It's funny, though, because it's like... We've all been pretty unanimous on everything but that, and it's very... It's cool for me to see it from two different sides. Again, because, like, Sky, you mentioned how it's like you did a landlock campaign with people that wanted to do that sort of stuff, and it was like, I can see it, mm. which I think is why I like the difference between the scores. That's cool. Only way to really prove it, let's play test it. <laughs> well, Sky's just drawn a gun on me, so I'm not changing my answer to a suit. <laughs> um, next one, the Rune Child Sorcerer. I personally <laughs> rate this one pretty low. I ra- Bro, we hate him! <laughs> I rate this one low because it's like what you were saying, what you guys were saying earlier. It's It takes so long. It takes a while to get really into the point where you can do good stuff with it mm. which sucks because again if you like if you started a level one campaign you're fucking boned like from you are destined to fail i think from, most sorcerers are pretty poo-poo at level one or like spell casters like you know but the sm- snowballing aspect is so big but i think this one is just like what's the point of being a snowball like you know what's the point of being your snowball like when it doesn't have any effect level one you know i'm personally probably going to give it a six if there was some maybe tweaking in those first couple of levels where you weren't so where stuff wasn't withheld from you, like the what you got and the price yeah. for it wasn't so that's what that's what scarce, then yeah. I would definitely rate it higher because the concept of it is fucking awesome. I really enjoy stuff is really cool. Yeah. But that grind, like you gotta make that grind worth it. Yeah. It's like that hustle and grind or aggressive, if you will. Um, <laughs> thank you, Craig Reynolds, drummer straight from the past. That was the funniest fucking thing he ever said ever. Um, yeah, I feel like the thing for me was the fact that they they that first like when we read that first blurb mm-hmm. about the rune child, uh, rune children being so important to like academics and like bad people. They build it up to be it's like off so strong. yeah, they literally you started off so strong yeah. and then it just went. How well? How are people going to be hunting them? And you know they're so important to this and that. If I they can barely gonna, fucking use their abilities at level one. I thought it was going to go more along the. You know how um. I don't, I don't know what they introduced it in. Maybe it was Tasha's, um the the tattoo a built like the tattoo stuff. Spell tattoos. Can, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was going to be more yeah. like spell tattoos, to be honest. Yeah, where it's like you can you can put charge spells in it, all that sort of stuff. Mm. I, I all I all I think is like oh, I'm yeah. gonna give it like a five five six because it just feels super limited unless you really want to grind for it. I agree. That's I that's think, my thing. I think if I think this is one of those classes where unless you know exactly how to play this class and you're like, dude, I love, I can't wait till I can play a new campaign as a rune child. Um, I just I just don't see, don't see it. But maybe that's just me. But True. Yeah, five six. True. Uh, next one, uh, which is the last one, is the mm. blood, uh, blood magic wizard. Mm. Again, 
I love the Blood Magic Wizard. I think it's metal as fuck. Yes. I would probably give it max a seven. Only because maybe only because again, wizard spells, you can do some fuck shit as like getting wizard spells. Um but just the abilities you get from the abilities you get from the Blood Magic Wizard, I just like with how good the Blood Domain Cleric was, I just thought that the Blood Wizard would just yeah. be that little bit closer to the same thing. It's just not. That's all it is. That's so seven, seven, eight. You know, I'll max it at eight. I'll boost it to eight because again, it's just so metal and I love it. But I just, no. I, I wish it had more. I I agree on your original score score of seven purely seven. in its co- contrast to the blood cleric. It's like they studied the same... Yeah. It's the same school of magic all the way around. It's just, for some reason, the cleric gets, like, heck. What did we give the blood cleric? I think the blood cleric was, like... Did like, nines? And like, nine, yeah. nearly nines across the board or something? Um, like, yeah, I'll probably go. The, the one thing I just don't like about this class is 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 that you're going to be worried about your HP so much. I yeah. think it's, it's really going to overshadow the yep. coolness. Like, I give it... I'll give it, like, a, a seven or an eight. Um because it's it's so cool and you can do so much with it and the backstory and and you know just like describing the stuff you can do with like your own blood to you know do all this cool stuff um you know it has so much like cool factor but i think yeah you're definitely gonna need you need a way to heal yourself yeah you need to be in a campaign where your guy your your party is resting constantly true because what if you get in three fights back to back with no rest no healing spells no potions you're you're really you get one of those super grindy dungeons like your dm just wants to put you through the ringer yeah i think this is this is gonna be hard unless it's a campaign focused around a party of like blood magic users blood sorcerers going on an expedition where it's yeah to them that's cool that would be the peak play of this otherwise you just need to be smart with how you play it true yeah seven right yeah solid probably solid solid eight again just because i think it's metal as fuck so that brings it to I believe the last question that we really had on the thing. Well, there's two kind of. Two kind. We okay. Well, what have we got? Firstly, we'll go with: Would we recommend this expansion, and would we more lean it towards like a, a, a new or a more experienced player? Okay. For me, um, again, because this is a reprinted version with extra stuff from the original Taldore campaign setting, which was done a couple of years ago. Um. This gives you the tools to set up a campaign within the world of Taldore. And, like, you know, you have access to the stats of Vox Machina and all their special abilities. They're, like, level 20 heroes. And it's really cool. Do I think this is definitely, in my opinion, geared towards DMs who have been around the block a few times? Would I... Okay, would I recommend it... Would I recommend it to buy... If you're really into Critical Role, it's just good for a read to see the expansion of the universe 20 years after Campaign 1. How much will this set you back? This set me back 80-something, nearly 90 bucks, uh, Australian. Um, looking at like 100 US. Again, I bought it because I am a Critical Role fan, so the, everything extra was just an added mm-hmm. bonus. If you're just getting it for the... If you literally just want it to get access to the subclasses, it's not worth the money. It's not. I agree. I give. I bought it because I'm a collector, and it sounds really bad, but it's like if you want to get it, someone's already put it on the internet for free. You can just do that. Make sure it's okay with your DM and stuff, and just go for it. I think if you really like Critical Role and you like the subclasses, support them anyway. It comes with a cool map. It details everything in the universe after you know 
uh, the fall of the Whispered One and all that sort of stuff and all these all the gods and all like the vestiges of divergence, like these cool things you can get, which I intend to use throughout our home games and possibly in the recorded campaign. Like I intend to do that. If you're just doing it for the subclasses, don't do it. If you're doing it because you want access to a lot of the, a few of the extra bits in the book, definitely. If you're a big Critical Role fan, I really recommend it because it's really good. Um, why before you buy? Well, I'd, I'd say buy, but that's because I already bought it. <laughs> but um, if you're a if you're a veteran DM, if you want some extra flavor, yeah, new DM, don't do it. Go for something like Wild Beyond the Witchlight. That is a fantastic campaign. That can be done as a pacifist run. Excellent. Um, or I would say the um, ooh, Descent to Avernus is no, no, Water, Water Deep Dragon Heist. That's probably one of the best introductory adventures yeah. ever. The module is so filled with stuff to do. Um, I would probably recommend those for a first time adventure, but mm. if you want to run something with this, this is more for a DM that really knows how to world build. Oh, yeah, I definitely, if you're more of an experienced DM, because that is a lot of information and a lot of shit in one book. And. I reckon I agree with with Cody. I would only get it if I was a Critical Role fan, which I am. So I probably would get it. But if you're not, spend your money elsewhere on another book, honestly. Yeah. Like, they put up the screen. They put up the video announcing they were doing this. And people were able to get everything on the Blood Domain Cleric and the Moon Cleric from two screenshots. Mm. It wasn't hard for them to get online. If you want to play test them, just go get them offline. And if you like them... Then maybe look at buying the book, you know, just to really get an idea of it. But yeah, that's yeah. just me. What okay. do you think, Marco? Well, as a as not a fan of Critical Role, so from a perspective of yeah, because you never you didn't really watch it before. Well, not at all. Not even now. Oh yeah, even now you um, never watched it. Yeah. Yeah, I think the classes are, are dope, and that being the only selling point, eighty dollars is a lot. So looking online or watching a campaign and homebrewing your own kind of character probably the way to go i definitely wouldn't buy this just for for the characters even though they are pretty cool especially if i was a new player and i was just going off of you know like i want a class that can do some cool stuff there are you know four or five other books easily that give you some cool shit like just buy the everything books yeah like Buy and that'll that's that's probably cheaper if you could buy the the culture and everything and the Xanthos guide to whatever whatever. Um. Well, I think if I remember the the base rate for both of those books, I believe is fifty or sixty bucks to buy Xanathar's guide and Tasha's. You probably spend about one hundred and twenty dollars, which is only forty bucks more. Than getting the Taldore Reborn I, but guide. But I think that adds so much more stuff to your game. Yes, I would actually have to agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. And and adds, spending adds- more money, get the Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, where you get some really cool spooky subclasses because it's based in horror. So like some of the subclasses of that yeah, are and excellent. You get, and you get bonus races as well. Yeah, bo- exactly. Like, yeah, bonus races like the Hexbloods, the um, the Dampier, the Reborn. Like, yeah. And you get access to like, you know, Domains of Dread and all that sort of stuff and patrons for your uh, Warlock. You get the Undead patron, which is gangster. Like even spending the extra money, I feel like you can get that a little bit more from like, without sounding snobbish, the actual Wizards book. Yeah. This is, it's a book by Critical Role for the fans. Mm, I think this is a Critical Role fans collector's item. Definitely. I would still use the classes. And a D&D collector's item. I would only get this if 
I had all the books that I wanted and I was just purely looking at filling a shelf or, hey, I want a bit more information on this class that I just can't find on the internet and I'd like to have that just at the touch of my hand, you know? Yeah. I'd like to just be able to yeah. pull off the shelf, oh, what am I, blood cleric stuff, you know, without having to go find a PDF somewhere. I think this is a... Yeah. As you get towards the end of your collection... Sort of, yeah. Like, and like, because we're really, you know, with our campaigns and homebrew and like the campaign we're running now, um, we love mixing and matching and like homebrewing stuff. So like for me, for me, it was worth the money because it was also a collector's thing as well as a, like a utility thing. I would definitely play one of these classes in a game. Like if one of you guys ran a game or Mm. something along those lines, you know what I mean? Excellent. But again, if you're just doing it for like classes and extra little bits, well, just think Nobody about bucks. it this way. Like, if you're if you're looking at the the classes, think about a campaign where you're only playing these subclasses. You section yourself off to the subclasses that are only in the book. Yep. I really don't think you'd have a well balanced party, even if you pick different classes for everyone. No. Like you had a yep. whole party and everyone was one of these things. One of these things. It'd still be unbalanced. Awesome yeah. standalone when in conjunction with the other subclasses from the other books. Their synergy all together, though, in an isolated instance. I don't think there's really a DPS in this book. No. Who's, doing, who's doing lots of damage? Other than the the wizards at high level. And the bar, like the like we we're talking about, the barbarian is getting like field manipulating abilities, but there they, was no boost to damage. No, that is a that is a tank barbarian. That is someone who's there to absorb damage and 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 run defense. I feel like the oath of the open sea paladin has better damage utility with the abilities it gets with its spells you know like the the tomb of water and all that sort of stuff and the ability to teleport out and then obviously like the the cleric the blood demand cleric had some hectic Mm. boosts so i think like one of those two i reckon again if you're a fan of critical role like i am spend the money if they had if they had digital pdf versions that you could get of just the classes i think that would be better to those who just like experimenting with other subclasses mm, you can that would even, be a better option you yeah. can even you do the same thing on dms guild where we go to get a lot of stuff you spend five bucks and you can get access to cool yeah, subclasses exactly. that these dms write and sometimes most of them put them up for free you can just download it for free yeah like these cool subclasses i think it's hectic like i reckon if they were just able to separate like if you could just get the classes separate from the book like not even a big fancy hardcover just like the I'd curse of strider revamp for just classes. <laughs> just, for, just for the classes, I wouldn't pay 80 for the law because I just don't care. <laughs> Again, Sorry. yeah, it's like, but it's like Tasha's and Xanathar. You spent 50 bucks. You're buying Xanathar's and Tasha's for access to spells, weapons, and classes and races. Mm-hmm. That's why you're buying it. I. That's value, babe. I think if someone comes to me and be like, oh, well, I bought it for this. Awesome. Good for you. I bought it for that, right? And that cost me $50. This cost me 90 but a lot of it is lore dumping for the world. So you can, mm. because it's a campaign setting, but obviously Taldore with the Vox Machina and like Critical Role, it's such an expanded universe because it's expanded for so long. Mm. You know what I mean? I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a lot of people that can honestly say they've done a campaign that's lasted over five years. Honestly, like. Yeah. I think the value for a fan is, is incredible. If you're, if you follow something for ages and then, you get something like Cody. You, when you were reading off of this, because you like you listened to all their stuff that this world is built around, right? Like I remember, I came into campaign two, mm. campaign one had finished, so I actually find myself going back and rewatching some episodes just to try and put it together because I missed well, out. How often were you when you were reading that? Like going like oh, like I remember when they referenced that. This is what yeah, this is. A, like, lot, a lot, a lot, yeah, right. So do you think 
to a fan because there, there are fans out there who maybe you don't want to spend 80 bucks on just some 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 fan stuff and some fluffing of the world would you say from a fan's perspective that this brought you enough joy and external stimulation gratitude yeah stimulation, gratification yeah gratification as a fan to, 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 to buy it as a fan yes yeah as a fan yeah it's it's like the critical role novel that you can buy it talks about how it started as a home game to when it became the streaming giant that it is yeah i read that book from cover to cover because i loved it and that took me two and a half days to read that book from cover to cover coming home after work at six o'clock at night reading it till one in the morning mm. so like you know, i'm not as bad as i used to be um as a fan hell yeah it's worth it just to be like so that's what the world was like 20 years after is there any extra stuff in there that because like we only touched on the subclasses that's a thick book. It's um, it really is it ex- like ex- lore and yes, it, ex- it expands upon the law, and a lot of it obviously ties back to you know when Vox Machina saved Exandria from the whispered one in this book, but in the original stream it's um Vecna, but obviously they can't use Vecna and stuff because this is not a licensed D and D book, so they can't do that. Some of the spells they're allowed to because the names can't be copyrighted. Blah blah blah, typical stuff. Um, but yeah, like it walks you through chapter one. Welcome to Taldore. Uh, tells you like the months and the layout. This is a complete fans build to Taldore because obviously we've already got the Wildmount book. Wildmount is another country in and of itself. Taldore is another. But this one was obviously a lot of people were really into it because it was the first campaign. The first guide ran out of print so they don't do it anymore. So to redo it, they definitely added more too. So So I guess my, my closing statement for why before you buy is this is a book to the fans, for the fans, made for the fans. If you'd like to run a campaign in a world that you've, that you know and love, you and watched, you have yeah, people that you know, and you can make references to that stuff in your campaign. You can. There's stat cards for the characters. I'd say with all their with all their abilities, like you know, Grog's Rage and all mm-hmm. stuff. There's new monsters, like homebrew monsters that Matt did for this campaign mm-hmm. as well. So that's cool. Um, like the Adranarch, they're like these weird spectral things. The, the Ashari, like the, the nature, um, like the people that Keyleth came from, um, they're awesome. Like, it's really cool. And it, it gives you a lot of ability to build upon a world in Taldore if you want to do that. And it gives you the ability to add a lot of extra stuff into your own campaign if you wanted to rewrite it. Like, there's absolutely mystical items and weapons in here that I might um, tweak a little bit and drop them into our, mm-hmm. our feed, like our game, because I like it. Like Margo said, it's a book by the crew for the fans so that if you just so happen to play D&D, um, you can build with it. If you just want it as a collector's item, you can definitely do that. I wish they just separated the classes and the items in a separate book so it wasn't as much money. That is just me, in my opinion. Let's go. I completely agree. I would only recommend buying this book if you are a fan and you have been following it or plan on following it if you want to preemptively get it do it but that's a lot of money to preemptively assume that you're gonna be there for the whole ride um if you did you threaten to kill someone uh, <laughs> um but if you don't really follow critical role um i would really not bother getting that that is not worth the money for someone who is not a fan of critical role that book is looks like it's about 50 percent law dump it's a solid lore dump, like being real. Thick boy, though. Thick boy. It's a thick lore like, dump. Like, this would, this would absolutely fucking take out a windshield. Like, <laughs> fact. Like, 
You strap that bad boy up with a belt and spin that, you have the mace of whole maces. I'm going to spend the money just to test that out. Yeah. I'll mace you good. Like, good Simpsons reference. Like, it's it's wild, but yeah. Give him one of these ones. Yeah, give him one of these. Um, lot of lore dump. Great classes. Great magic items. For 90 bucks, though. Your wallet weeps. It can reference Critical Role, but it weeps. Yeah, definitely. Um... I want to add, though, just, you know, to the end of this as we're wrapping up. Yeah, definitely. Why Before You Buy is is just a segment by fans, for fans. And, hey, if you don't agree with everything we say, cool. You know, let us know. Share your feedback in the in the Discord. That's what it's there for. And yeah, like, if you want to buy this, buy it. <laughs> yeah, like, don't let us we're affect your, we're, your purchase. Yeah, we're not, we're not doing this to dissuade you from buying a product or why you shouldn't look at a product this is just like and this and again this is coming from like like sky and i are fans of critical role we really enjoy it but like this is us being just 100 percent honest and marco only knew of critical role what i had told him mm-hmm. prior to the mics going hot it's this is like this is a segment that we will continue to do where we will review heaps of D supplements tabletop accessories we'll probably even go into video games like we're probably gonna Ooh. we're probably gonna yes, binge please daddy that's gonna be my realm <laughs> we're like we're probably gonna really invest in doing a lot of stuff because we all are avid consumers of multimedia outside of D, but D is what brought us together so it'll obviously be a core thing but we definitely we intend to go into like heaps of books like I definitely want to do a breakdown of the Humblewood book the 5e supplement yes, from please. um from Hitpoint Press where you play as little animal people it's gangster. You play this little night, like this little owl dude with a nose. He's got big fucking eyes. He's tiny. It's funny. It's cute as. I showed Sky and she squealed. Like it's awesome. <laughs> but like, squeal worthy. There's so much. Like there's so much to do. I um. Other than that, yeah. Thanks for sticking by. If like if you got onto the Patreon and started listening to part two of Why Before You Buy, episode one, I guess. Um, thank you. Uh, same old plugs you know like we you know on our page like you'd only get to this if you access our patreon but you know if you think your friends will be into it www.patreon.com slash uh odam o-d-a-m official um get access you get access to a discord server where you get to talk with like us the team um it's moderated we talk about things that happened in the episode if you're on higher tiers you can drop in uh submissions and like voice calls that's on like the third tier um that's gonna be there's an NPC tier as well. Uh, yeah, I believe the first tier, the first tier, if you subscribe, you can leave. If you subscribe into the first tier, which is five bucks, you can leave um, quick blurbs or names for NPCs that can just be slipped in. Obviously, if a lot of people do it, it's hard to slip them all in, but we'll do that. And you're like, you know, we'll read your names out and like shout you guys out. So like um like our first patron at this no recording, Jake C pledged straight onto the fifteen dollar tier, which is the highest at the moment. We love you, Jake. Absolute, absolute legend. Suck your toes. This <laughs> we're no, we're not promising that. We're we're not promising. It's okay, Liam will do it. <laughs> but um Liam will tickle your toes. But yeah, yes. like there's definitely a lot of stuff that um and we will review and change the awards as you know, hopefully it goes on and we can give you more. Mm. You, if you want to give, we will try and give you the best we can. But let us know, let us know how we did tonight. Stuff you'd like us to go more in detail in. You know, Leave requests wanna, for books. If, if you want to hear me and Sky yell at each other about the RP possibilities of a certain <laughs> class, I'm sure we could go into hour long tangents about it. Um, like Cody said, if you want to hear a specific book, if you just want to hear our take 
on a part of a of a book, whether it's new or old or a certain character, we'd love to add it to a tabletop discussion like this. Like if you want me to if you want me to go over why the Tomb of Horrors was like the most fucked D and D module ever and how like why it was bad, because I know you guys probably don't know I will gladly do that. That is an insane module. It was made to kill you. But it's fun to do that sort of stuff. It's fun to talk about that sort of stuff. Mm. But um yeah, unless anyone else has anything to plug, I think we can wrap wrap this out. Um, shout out Bree Die the Beholder at underscore Die the Beholder underscore on Instagram. She makes all of that custom dice. We love your work. You've done amazing, and more custom sets are coming. Breach uh, at uh, Reckless Creatures for all the D and D merch. I'm wearing the Acerarac T shirt right now of this guy getting possessed, and it's or two guys getting possessed. Shit, I can count. It's fucking gangster. The new shirt's gonna be Strad von Zarevich because I requested that on Instagram, and they said yes. It's gonna be awesome. Um, you know, Michael Gelfie, mu- Michael Gelfie music. We use all of his stuff for our sound effects, which was currently in episode one, which aired today uh, at 5 p.m. It's currently uh, like quarter, nearly, it's five to midnight. This is what we do. Um, and uh, our friend Bailey, who does all of our artwork, which is due to go up very soon. Oh, yes. Hit us up on our Twitch, All Caffeine, No Talent. And that is a literal title. No Talent. <laughs> yeah, all caffeine, no talent. Marco and I have both jumped on those streams to like just mm-hmm. shoot the shit and talk about um Odam and all that sort of stuff. And it's great to pop on. By. It's it's really it's really good fun. Bailey's been doing incredible work doing um artwork for our characters, which will go up um when they're all finalized and done. I believe Leaf and Dawn are already up, and we're just waiting on Henrik Narcon and Avidus, and then we'll re-upload them with a full set because um Bailey's doing them all standing together, which is going to be gangster. Um, but yeah, um, I'm trying to think if I've missed anybody. I want to. Oh, Cloud Kill Clothing. They're a new clothing company as well. They do like some really cool spritey old Game Boy style um, D&D stuff. Oh, They're nice. really cool. Um, even though this, this is on the Patreon thing, which kind of sucks. I believe it's Cloud Kill Clothing or Cloud Kill Threads. But they do some cool little stuff like that. Um, other than that, I think I think that's us. Sweet as, yeah. If you like it, tell your friends, get them to jump on the Patreon, jump on the feed, leave reviews, Instagram um, of Dice and Magic, which is and A-N-D, not the ampersand, because Instagram doesn't allow it, and of Dice and Magic on Facebook. Uh, we'll generally try and get back to you guys as soon as possible. But other than that, that's Cody, Sky, and Marco signing off. We'll catch you guys in the next one. See you Bye now. Bye.